You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Ryan McCubbin. Hey, everyone. How you doing today? Welcome. David Hall. Does anybody have a paperclip? How about a toe link? Donnie Spiker. That's what's holding them together. I made it, fellas. How's everybody doing? Welcome. Greg Hectus. What's up, everybody? Hey, and Steve Thompson. Hey, welcome to the iRacers Lounge. Come on in and uh, take a big seat here in this comfortable couch next to Mike Ellis. Yeah, on the show this week, we will deep dive into the eNASCAR Coke Series Championship Race, held live at the NASCAR Hall of Fame with announcer Evan Pasoko. We have lots of new hardware to check out, including a new offering from Sim Coaches and a whole new pedal design from SimiCube. Yeah, and you can uh, see all these cool new products we'll be discussing uh, and follow along with us on your PC or mobile device in real time as you listen to the show for yourself. And you can do it by visiting iracerslounge.com and selecting show notes. So let's check it out. Sim Coaches offers a realistic sim racing equipment you need to win more races online. It is designed for real racers. Hydraulic construction makes them feel just like the real thing. High-quality construction, 100% leak-proof, and lifetime warranty are the key features with these pedals. And they look absolutely amazing. Check out SimCoaches.com and use the coupon code Lounge to get 10% off your purchase. SimCoaches.com is your ticket to feel like you're actually sitting behind the wheel of a car. Drive harder and stay on the limit longer. First-time winner, Ashton Crowder, final time at a turn four to his first win in the E-NASCAR Peaking. And the Monster Mile in 2020 is tamed by Nitron Garrelow. Going to look to the bottom. It is not going to be enough. And Ryan Luza is going to go back to back. He steals the win at Thunder Valley. Welcome, the voice of iRacing, Evan Pasoko. All right, we're back with Evan Pasoko for the final Coke Series event. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I know uh, missed out on a couple of the last ones with some travel, so happy to be here to close out the year. Oh, what a year it's been. I mean, so competitive. Uh, but let's jump right into it. Pre-race, or uh, as the week led up to the race, first of all, Joe Gibbs Racing get put out what I consider the ultimate tribute they actually wrapped a show car with bobby Zelensky's virtual paint freaking cool yeah i think that had to top the list of coolest things in the area for the week um it had his you know the coke banner on the windshield and his vrs stickers on the car and uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing also did a good job of shouting out uh, all of those virtual sponsors. So uh, I think that was the coolest thing that I saw all week leading up to the race and, and cool to see that team getting so involved with a guy like Bobby. Yeah. And then I guess the monster trophy, uh, Dale Jr. that uh, put to, you know together and that's named after uh, we got a long history or a history of how he came about uh, with the trophy of the guy who, who, you know, drew it up on a piece of 
paper initially, what it would look like, uh, some of the back and forth behind the scenes of the uh, actual trophy. And, and again, why Dale Jr. decided to pick that because it, it's kind of a replica Winston cup trophy. It is. And it's, uh, about five feet tall, uh, and it weighs 58 pounds. Uh, so it is huge. Um, and of course, you know, I think in the last two years, the series trophy got a bit bigger, um, compared to the really small one that was given out for the first 10, 11 years or so. Uh, but this one was made by Jostens. Jostens, uh, everybody knows them. They do, uh, you know, the, the trophies for a lot of major sports. They do rings for a lot of major sports. And they also make the uh, Bill France Cup uh, for the NASCAR Cup Series. So, so cool that it's such a big name like that, making it for the Coke Series. Now, we saw a picture I wanted to ask you. You were there. Is there going to be like a base where they put like, you know, past champions placard or something? There is. So the way that it was displayed during the trophy ceremony was it was not sitting on the base. And you could see that, uh, you know, the driver, current driver's champion photo would go in the top block and then below the series logo would be their name. There's a lower level to that trophy that was there um, that has about eight open slots to put the most recent series champions. Um, so hopefully we get a look at that. I don't know if that's going to include all the past champions to this point, or if it's only going to start to add names as people win, um, you know, this branded version of the trophy, but uh, there is a spot for past champs. That'll be cool to see that get filled up. Okay. And then as we got into the event, uh, man, NASCAR, what a great host. I mean, NASCAR hall of fame, what a venue with these historic race cars in the background uh, for, you know, personal rigs set up, you know, head to head, uh, you know, in, in pairs. And then you guys had a proper uh, booth, you know, for the uh, analyst and the calling of the race. Yeah, the setup was was awesome. So we were there um, on Monday um, when the hall was still open to the public and, and nothing on Glory Road was set up at that point. Um, we did some filming with the drivers walking around. It was actually the first time I actually was able to be in the hall uh, and just check out some of the history. And then the next day it was completely transformed. Uh, there was a whole photo op area where the trophy was. Uh, there was a huge stage and where your championship four competitors were competing. And then we had a full on broadcast desk off to the side, cameras, screens, the whole nine yards. Um, it was it was really an incredible setup and they filled up that space and everything was executed so well logistically. Um, and I mean, it felt like the real deal. Um, and it was certainly um, an event that I think this series has been long overdue for and, and really deserves. Now, I don't know if you know, but the iRacers Lounge had a live watch party. There was about, I don't know, eight or ten of us watching and talking and live streaming the whole thing. And we had a good time. Now, one question that came out was, you know, Drew Adamson, I believe, was there and, and switching and everything, his normal, his normal duties. But, man, he's got all these live shots and live cameras and stuff to mix in with it. Uh, so who was providing that? Was that NASCAR Productions or NBC or what? Yeah, so the funny enough part was that nobody from the iRacing production team was on site. So Drew Adamson, oh. Cisco Scaramuza, Sean Ambrose, uh, you know, all of those guys and more, Corey and everybody were actually still in Boston. Um, and then there was a, a NASCAR productions team on site 
there was about probably seven to eight cameras actually in the hall. Uh, there were two focused on the desk with us. There was the the camera on the jib. There was a couple of RFs, uh, some remote cameras. So there was a bunch of cameras and all of those were being communicated through the headset. So Drew and everybody was on headset talking with us, talking with the cameras, um, but they were actually cutting the show remotely from Boston. So nobody on the production side of iRacing was actually on site. Now, of course, uh, you know, Steve Myers, Otto, Kevin, a lot of the iRacing brass were there and it was great to see them. But production wise, it all happened remotely away from us. Amazing, the switch that remotely. Uh... I guess one more follow-up question. Do you know if they were sending all the cameras raw to him or were they just sending him one feed of uh, that was pre-mixed? They were getting all the, the ISOs of the cameras. So iRacing was able to cut whatever camera they wanted as opposed wow. to one cut line so you know you talk about the logistics of a doing the event live but also be the head of production you know where the switching is happening is you know several states away um it, it was quite an accomplishment that everything ran as smoothly as it did all right and of course we were focused on the four guys was, uh driving rigs and their hardware and their setup and boy i mean diverse setups i mean you had stephen wilson with a very simple 16 by 9 one monitor uh you had you know a couple others with triples uh i think casey kerwin even bought some of the junk from his room to lay next to the rig so everything would be the same he had the same shoe rack that he places next to his rig at home next to his rig there so that his headset and his keyboard were in the same spot so you know casey had the advantage of being close right so that was casey's actual setup um and we were talking uh you know with his family and a lot of the other drivers did the same thing where they had a parts list so they made sure they brought every single cable of course you got a challenge if you're bobby right because you can't bring that stuff from across the country so while Casey was using his actual setup, the other three drivers weren't. But what they did was they basically rebuilt their setups, right? So same, uh, a lot of them did bring the computer if they could, uh, but a lot of them have partners with so many people who build sim cockpits and stuff, right? They're like, listen, I need three of this model monitor. And they got the same model monitor, same model keyboard, same model steering wheel. So while it wasn't theirs, uh, they did their very best to replicate it. And then they actually set up those rigs in the hotel the night before. So all day Monday after we finished the shoot at the hall, they went back uh, into an area that was set up at the hotel and practiced. And they could kind of dial in their, their rigs. A couple of guys realized they were missing some cables and people were running around town getting cables to make sure everything was hooked up right. So they had a couple days of R&D at the hotel across the street to dial those rigs in. And then, uh, of course, brought them in through the loading dock on Monday night and then had several hours to practice with them on stage on Tuesday before doors open to the public. Fascinating. OK, yeah. So that answers a lot of questions. And uh, yeah. So let's jump right into the action. It was uh, poll time for Graham Bolin. Bobby Zielinski second. Stephen Wilson was fourth. Casey Kerwin starting P7. So great qualifying for all four. Uh, but right off the bat, caution, Alfala, Novak, Bowden, Lowe, Mercurio involved. Lap one, Ray Alfala, man, he dove it in there three wide and washed up big time, wiped out the two lanes above hard, hard, hard. It was tough because, you know, it's easy when we're looking at those four guys up at the front of the field to to kind of dismiss 
um, what's happening behind them, right? Oh, it's just a couple guys working in the back, but that actually ended up being quite consequential uh, because Ray, of course, was fighting for his life in terms of the relegations. So that was a major incident. It sure was. Uh, so next up, restart lap five, Graham Boland, Bobby Zielinski lead the field. Uh, but again, caution, Nick Ottinger, Malik Ray, Co Cody Bias, Colin Keister, Femi Olat, Mike Conti, Donovan Strauss are all involved when Ottinger and Bose get together on the restart and uh, crash. Two in a row, you think maybe a little bit of nerves back in traffic. Also keep in mind, you know, almost none of these drivers have ever raced at Phoenix in the Coke series, let alone no one's ever driven this configuration of it in this car. So you're going to get that no matter what short track we're on on the sim, right? I mean, you can put the best drivers out there. There's going to be some chaos early. And our big thing was how is this going to affect the championship four guys with this, you know, rocky start and, you know, for all the, the hype and the nerves and attention on them, they really couldn't settle into a rhythm too early because the yellow is coming from the back of the field and we're guessing at this point the race director's screaming a little bit you know calm down let's get this thing rolling uh, and they did restart lap 10 graham boland bobby Zelensky lead the field uh lap 11 bobby gets the lead we finally get some green flag laps and by lap 25 it's bobby Leahy, clampett bolin and kerwin and they are rising to the occasion but of course uh, once Bobby was able to get out in front, man, did he really start uh, to run good. Um, you know, he started to to pull a bit of a gap at that point. Everybody's on the same strategy. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough to tell in the opening laps. You know, nobody could really separate themselves. But uh, by the time we get to that lap 25 marker, I mean, Bobby's really starting to put some time on the rest of the field. Lap 34, Michael Guest was the biggest movers up 17 spots. Both Guest and Reynolds are racing for the team championship. Beaver Esports was 18 behind the Stuart Haas Racing Esports. And at 65 laps to go, um, <clears throat> the championship guys are running first, fourth, fifth, and sixth um, as they run. By lap 51, Keegan Leahy was in the mix running second. Big night for Keegan, obviously, right? I mean, it was a year ago in the championship race in which he was fighting for the title and, and he won himself the $100,000 prize. I think a lot of people were uh, surprised and didn't have it on their bingo sheets at the start of the year that Keegan would be winless to this point, not even be in the playoffs. I think it was a big statement night uh, for Keegan uh, to just kind of end the season on a high note. And another guy, again, like we talked about Ray earlier in that relegation bubble that not only wanted to have a good night to prove a point, but needed a good night because he was so close to that cut line. Yep. And then finally, it's caution. Dylan Alt goes across the nose of Briar LaPrad. It was lap 52. After this, during the stop, Stephen Wilson missed his pit stall, backed up, took two tires, but still jumped up to second. They restart on lap 56. Keegan Leahy, Stephen Wilson lead the field, but then caution. It's the big one. Another big one, and it you know takes us back to the incident earlier, right? You had that long green flag run, and got broken up a little bit, and and not to gloss over, of course, you know what happens on pit road there. Uh, you know, Bobby Zelensky and Stephen Wilson both have their races changed on that pit cycle. Um, you know, we didn't realize it until a couple of laps later when we got confirmation. But Stephen's uh, pit style was botched because he overshot it. 
had to back up and because of that he would have lost so much time by going for four he made an audible call switched to the two tire stop just to maintain track position and then was clearly hoping to get about a 30 40 lap run in get a yellow get back down to pit road so he ends up off tires and everybody else and bobby didn't miss the pit stall or anything he just got a slow stop uh, he was at a 15.1 in the box, if I remember correctly. Everybody else around him was in the 14.4 bracket. So, you know, the context behind all of this is that Zelensky has a huge lead. He comes down pit road, drops back to fourth. That's how we get that battle between Keegan and Wilson. And then, of course, just like we saw early in the night, a big incident quick off of the restart. Uh, a couple of important drivers around that relegation bubble involved in that one again. And then it turns into a, a pretty good battle at that point, seemingly coming down to Keegan Leahy and Stephen Wilson. I Yeah, I think the intensity changed on this next restart. 50 to go, 100 grand on the line, and, and these guys are, you know, got their pit strategy, tire strategy uh, behind them. So uh, it's Keegan Leahy, Stephen Wilson leading, uh, goes green. Mitchell DeYoung gets into the wall hard, but it stays green. Then up front, man, these championship contenders beating on each other. Casey Kerwin and Graham Bolin. Uh, at 41 to go and by 46 to go these championship four were literally four wide just for a moment uh the, you could literally throw a blanket on top of them with 45 to go while keegan leads these guys were just nu- duking it out and you could tell that a lot of them felt like that that was going to be a big moment in this race keegan's able to pull away a little bit up front but not only are they four wide and under a blanket but they are making significant contact um you know every corner on each other's door uh hitting each other in the bumper i mean it was getting physical and i i agree with you that off of that restart things got real serious because at that point you're within the fuel run to the end of the race there's no pit stop separating you everybody could go the distance from that point uh and you could tell i mean it was one of the more physical battles we've seen in the second half of the year with how much they were leaning on each other nobody was playing nice at that point and as they came out of that four under a blanket, it was Casey Kerwin who ended up in, ahead of the other three, and he pretty much kept uh, kept it that way the rest of the race. He uh, establishes himself ahead of those guys, and that's big. Um, and then we really start to see the complexion change, right? I mean, that was the first time we had seen them four wide in a position like that, but for the most part, they were close, right? There was a time when Bobby was ahead, and the other guys, I think, were fourth, fifth, and sixth in that ballpark, but they had been pretty close all night. And then once this battle starts to simmer down a little bit, and uh, Casey gets the championship lead, of course, second uh, in the race at that time, then we really started to see um, Bolin slipping to back, um, you know, and kind of dropping, uh, you know, further out of the mix there. Uh, and it turned into a bit of a battle uh, between Kerwin and Zelensky as Wilson also started to slip with those older tires, only taking two. Yeah, as the green flags wore down uh, at the 30 to go mark, um, you know, Wilson was back to 12th after taking those two tires. Uh, and you, as you said, Graham was slipping as well. At 25 to go, Leahy maintains a three to four car length gap over Kerwin uh, with Bobby just behind. I mean, he was, uh, I, Bobby was trying at that point, I think, just to get there. Uh, six car lengths back was Graham, but Conti was right on him. Uh, and, and Conti, he got damaged in one of those earlier ones. He actually tweeted during caution, hey, I'm down 10 horsepower, and then here I see him up in the top five. But anyway, uh, Wilson was back to 18th by 25 to go. 
and at that point again he he made his choice um you know he could have got the four tires earlier in the race you know when he made the mistake on pit road he probably would have ended up the better finish but the better finish wouldn't have won him the championship right again he had to make that call with the botched pit entry to go for the two tire stop for track position at that point he's out of it right i mean he's open for yellow but even at that point uh he's lost so much track position uh that he's just not in the conversation anymore and again uh graham boland somebody else who a lot of people had had picked for this race finds himself slipping back a little bit more and you're right i mean Zelensky's there on Kerwin, there were points where he was, you know, seven car lengths back. And then there were points where he was on his bumper and it was hard to tell who was saving, who was pushing and was clear that this was going to come down to those two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let's talk, you know, best of the rest. I mean, 21 to go Conti, man, he bumps Graham a bit trying to get by, uh, mixing it up with the championship leaders uh, and then clamp it. He gets by uh, on the high side, the third uh, on his final race of his career. Uh, we were talking in our group. I mean, we have a bunch of people on their final race of the year trying to get uh, a real nice showing and, you know, our final race of the career. Uh, but yeah, uh, Clampett looking really good. Uh, Bolin was falling back. Uh, it looks like it's a race of Bobby and Casey for the trophy while Keegan still maintains that lead. Keegan was cruising up front. Uh, you know, he was felt pretty safe because those guys had battled so hard when they were in that group before that, uh, you know, I don't really think that they were going to get up to him or anything. Um, and again, you got, you know, Logan having a great showing. You mentioned in his final start, a handful of drivers going to be making their last start uh, that we had a chance to highlight on the broadcast, which was good to see. And, um, you know, you kind of have Logan in that position where he's, you know, trying to, trying to race uh race hard there but also not get uh get too much in the way and um fortunately you know wasn't a huge factor in all of that but the buffer did help for a moment all right and then 14 to go uh bolin falling through the field ninth now 12 12 to go bolin trying to get a caution it looked like he bumped a few guys it seemed but it stayed green uh bobby was still digging on Kerwin. it was just three car lengths at that point uh, 10 to go. Bobby falls back just a bit. They're getting a little bit of separation at this point. And then here we are, final lap. Uh, Keegan, Kerwin, Bobby, and it's checkered flag. Casey Kerwin will win the championship. Keegan Leahy wins the race. And it's a great moment for Keegan, first and foremost, to not get lost in all of this because uh, I think it was enough for him to maintain his top 20 in points so he doesn't have to go through the relegation bubble. Um, and what a win for Casey. All right. I mean, a lot of the talk was about Bobby, uh, you know, fifth appearance in the championship four, arguably had the best car um, until, uh, you know, he just had bad luck at the draw on the pit cycle, lost his positions. And you got Casey who is in his fifth year. So he's the second most senior of these four guys, but in his first four seasons, never made the playoffs at all, let alone the final four. So to be able to put together a great run back to back top five finishes in the two weeks prior to this, and then the second place finish, um, you know, it's only the second time in the six years that we've done this winner take all format that the champion didn't win the race. Uh, last time we saw that was back in 2020, I believe when Chris Sherburn won the race, but Nick Ottinger took home the championship and what, what a drive for Casey 10th um, different champion we've seen over the 13 year history of this series. Uh, it's also the first time we've ever seen four consecutive first time champs 
And we've also seen six different champions in the last six years. So uh, it is really anybody's game every year. Uh, the fact that we've seen six different people take home the title. Yeah. And uh, heartbreak for the other guys. I mean, Stephen Wilson, he had a whole cheering section there, his entire family uh, in matching shirts and stuff. And, you know, it was a surreal moment at the moment the checkered came out because the three other families were kind of eerily quiet. And then you had Casey's, you know, dad and, and family cheering, of course. And so it was kind of a mixed emotions, but uh it was neat to see Casey uh, do it. Uh, he's he's going to be a great champion. He's going to represent iRacing and the Coke series, I think, very well. He will, and it was it was good to have his family there to congratulate him, and I think it was also good to have uh, everybody else's family there. So when the other guys got out of the rig, uh, they had some immediate support, right? Um, I mean, Stephen Wilson seemed to have a pretty positive attitude about it. Again, he's another guy who was uh, he's only in his second year. Right. I mean, first playoff appearance makes it to the final four was the best car all year. Uh, you know, more top fives, more top tens, more wins than anybody else. Um, and maybe that hurts you know, a little bit more when you're the best car all year, but you don't end up with a trophy at the end of the season. But, you know, Stephen Wilson is going to be back. Um, you know, you look to Graham Bolin, who has really kind of come into his own these last two, three years. I think he's a perennial threat to make the champ for every year. And I think the person who took it the, the hardest was Bobby, obviously. Right. I mean, uh, talking to him after the race, uh, obviously frustrated and uh, disappointed. We had a chance to talk to him, of course, on the broadcast, um, you know, right after Casey got the trophy and, and it hit him hard. Right. I mean, to be there five years um, and to, to not get the job done yet. But. I mean, most people are never going to get to the championship four, right? I mean, it's a huge accomplishment. Bobby's fifth on the all-time wins list. Uh, he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, and I don't think this will be the last time we see him in the final four. But I understand how much pressure he puts on himself as that final four appearance number grows. Um, you know, how, how frustrated he can be. And, you know, again, without that yellow midway, he probably wins this race. I think he had the best car of the four of them. Yeah, absolutely. That was a little bittersweet as well. And I think he compared himself to Mark Martin, which is fitting. I mean, uh, he, he's kind of like the Mark Martin. Of yeah, that's Coke. pretty good company, right? <laughs> it is. Uh, absolutely. Well, man, and I just want to say kudos to everyone at NASCAR. I mean, they really made this a, uh, an event. I mean, by putting up the Hall of Fame, by doing NASCAR productions to do the cameras and everything, uh, you know, the whole shebang, you know, I think it was a great success. It was again for for everything that could go wrong. Um, I'm sure there were things happening, but I, I didn't notice any of it. Um, you know, broadcast came across great. Everything worked on our side. Uh, the environment was good to have the drivers on stage and, you know, have their personalized touches and, uh, you know, for all four of them as well to agree to go right to get out of their comfort zone. Um, I know that some of them were less excited about the proposition than others, right? Because they wanted to be in their space. Um, but for them to buy into it, for NASCAR to buy into it as well, to put on such a great event, I think uh, that that kind of finale um absolutely should be um you know the, the standard going forward it was it was a great event and, and i think a big step in the right direction as this series continues to grow now after its 13th season and let's talk 14 um contender series starts right up here and uh ray alfala is going to be in the contender series i mean what other people or notables or surprises uh do we need to look for there I think the number is a big thing to look for, right? Because even though we've had a couple of drivers announce that, 
you know, they will be retiring from the Coke series. That doesn't change the number 20 number, right? So it's still, regardless of, you know, how many people accept the invitations or not, you're going to have your top 20 automatically qualify in, right? We know that some of the drivers in that top 20 are not going to return. So, you know, it's, it's tough luck if you're 21st and you say, Hey, a guy that finished higher than me in Coke, isn't going to take his invite. Can I get the secure spot? No. So the interesting thing is, you know, each year we see, I say about a fifth to a quarter of the field is new drivers, right? Or at least people coming up the ladder, some guys making returns, um, you know, but, but there's always a lot of turnover that number is likely to be closer to 25 than it is 20. So you actually have a majority of the field coming through contender, which makes the door that much more open uh, to maybe see the biggest turnover we've ever seen in the roster. And of course, you're going to be racing the B car, right? So that's going to fit into the strengths of a guy like Ray. Um, obviously, the people who have qualified through the qualifying series have been in the truck. So you're going to have to try out a different discipline. And it's going to be different than the Coke series. And it's going to be different than that qualifying series. But contenders going to be huge this year, just sh surely based on the fact that there's so many spots available to move up the ladder. Absolutely. So we'll be watching. One more quick note. Donovan Strauss, I believe, was rookie of the year. And uh, what a, a nice way for him to end the year. I mean, in, in, at the beginning, he had some DNFs that he was just broken over. Um, so it's nice that his year is ending on a nice touch. It is. And, you know, there's so many great uh, accomplishments for a lot of people, career best years, um, you know, career best uh, years for the teams. Uh, you know, I mean, w what a night it was for for Xset, you know, to, to get the driver's championship. Stuart Haas Esports walks away with the team championship. So, you know, it's something to hang the hat on for Steven Wilson and Dylan Duvall. Team championship still pays out more than 10 grand to those guys. And, you know, that used to be with the with the champ at the end of the night got it all. And also, even for people who aren't in the championship for right? Right? Those individual driver payouts go all the way through the top 10, uh, walking away with a couple grand to help, um, I think can, can motivate these guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I know that I say that the relegation in this is the best part of it, but it's, it's cutthroat. I mean, I think that's why you see so many guys calling it a career because there is so much time invested required to race at this level that, you know, it's no longer a shoe. And then if you're one of the most talented guys on the sim, you're going to be there because someone's going to work harder than you. And uh, I don't think we've ever seen this level of competitiveness. And hopefully year 14 is, is just as exciting as this year was. All right. Uh, same here, Evan Pasoko. Thanks so much for a great Coke season. Uh, again, coming on our iRacers Lounge podcast to do these race reviews, our listeners do appreciate it. And I hope we can do it in the future again. Hopefully they, uh, you know, it's funny. I've done more than half of the seasons now in series history. So that's uh, it's a bit of a scary thought, but uh, hopefully I, I get to come back and do it again next year. And we'll talk to you guys in Daytona. Take care. Before we jump into topics, let's talk about our little impromptu live stream that we had, guys. Uh, I think uh, around, was it Tuesday, around midday, Greg was like, hey, should we do a live stream? And I was like, I can do it. And Mike was like, I can do it. And we popped on and just had like seven or eight guys watching the stream and, and commenting as we went. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, I thought. Um, 
some of it, like Brian, you were working on something else, but you were able to sit in with us and uh, comment on what's going on. Um, and then we had uh, Tony Rochette show up, and uh, who else was there? Tyler, Tyler Williamson was hanging and out. And Bobby with us. Jonas. Yeah. Tyler yeah. Williamson and Bobby Jonas showed up, and that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's how I uh, consumed the Coke race was. I, I don't know where I was, but I was able to listen to you guys and actually understand what the heck was going on during the race as well. So you guys did a pretty good job. It was a lot of fun. Sad I missed it. Yeah, a lot of side talk. We talked about their you know, cockpits and different things and speculated on what's going on. It was fun. We'll probably do that again maybe for the first uh, Daytona race we were talking about. So, All right. Well, we'll roll on into the topics then, and we're going to start with uh, Dell Jr. pulling a William Byron on a fellow iRacer. And it was uh, Brandon Keetle. He shared this video where Dell Jr. accidentally ran into the back of him, sending Brandon forward to the inside wall. However, it does appear to be after the checkered. I thought you are supposed to move over for him, just get out of the way. I don't think Dale would actually want you to do that. I think he wouldn't want you to race extra hard, but he would want to actually have to race you, right? I just realized it was after the checker. I didn't know that. I just thought it was under yellow. Well, I mean, how come the pace car is on the, on the track, though, if the checkered flag is out? It's a little confusing. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird, too. The checkered flag was out with the pace car. Or oh, pace you know what it is. It's actually this is a replay. Truck. He's just rewinded back to a previous lap, and... And that's the checkered from his actual race. Well, darn it. Now yeah. I want to know, was this a uh, caution? Yeah, it had to be caution then. Yeah, because the pace car is there. The only other thing well, that um, been, was, would be if it was a, a yellow after that, it was the last yellow that could come out. Well, darn it. Well, now, now I'd be upset. <laughs> yeah, it could have been under the, um, under the white flag. You know, the, maybe, I don't know. But uh, Brandon Cattell, he did say that in his Twitter where he posted this video that he said he probably deserved it, Dale. So um, he must have done something to uh, to uh, earn this response from Dale Jr. Um, but that's not in the video. He's, he he kept that hidden. <laughs> well, it, in the, we listened to the audio right before and, and it, basically Dale said he was nearly falling asleep. Yeah, that's, he said that in the reply as well. That's what I'm claiming, too. I had this happen at a, uh, I woke up really early and decided I'll run an ESS race. I think it was, I don't remember. I think it was road America and I was getting drowsy. Um, I shouldn't have tried to race it. And I actually dozed off just long enough to hit a wall under, you know, there's no cautions, so it can happen. So what, what is this shadow rim, Brian or shadow realm? Yeah, it's a, a video. You know, that iRacing posted on their um, Instagram page, um, it's a picture of a – it's a video of a car uh, at the Summit Point um, racetrack. Well, the guy uh, gets into the uh, grass and the sand pit. And he loses control and kind of veers off to the left side of the track, and there's an opening in the wall where there's just a hill that kind of launches him right into the trees. So iRacing had a little fun with this video because as he flies into through the trees, there's a bunch of crazy videos and psychedelic stuff and, you know, all these all these weird videos of, of this guy, you know, kind of showing that he he's he's launched himself into some extra dimensional type of portal that uh, that they go through. It, it was it was pretty funny. I liked uh, some of the stuff on it was really, really fun. But um, yeah, that's basically what, what they posted. It was, it was pretty cool to see. 
It's a very imaginative uh, thing they did there. Very creative. I mean, the end part where they, uh, you know, you've launched into the universe through a, a tube of the black hole and, and then they do all this crazy video stuff. Uh, it, it's pretty uh, entertaining. I need to see a summit point in real life because this looks like a spot you could go off and then go straight into that area and actually hit the wall. But we don't have a wall there. We have a ramp into the trees. So I'm curious what it looks like in, in real life, if they have any kind of safer barrier there, any tire wall, or do you really just launch into the trees or space in this in this case? I've actually been to this track before, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about that spot. It's been It's been a few years. Yeah, the video kind of reminds me of the movie Contact, if you if you remember that back from the 90s. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, uh, Interstellar, and, and they might have had some clips from one of those shows, one of those movies in it. You got Happy Gilmore's uh, daydreams in here as well. Yes. Well, what you didn't have in the video was highlights, uh, but uh, Donnie, what we have next is the highlights of the week. Yep. Uh, iRacing posted their highlights of the week, and they had seven of them this week. Uh, anybody have any favorites? I thought the Casey Kerwin was pretty cool. I think it was number six, running side by side, and he ended up being the uh, Coca-Cola champion. Well, it was yeah. probably too late to put, that it, would... put it in this, but there was a full ride <laughs> in the say... Coke race, right? Yeah, who would have who thought Casey, Ker Casey Kerwin's high highlight this week would have been from a, a GT race? <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, battling another streamer, and it was the battle of the streamers on that one. Number two is pretty fantastic. You have uh, a few cars almost sideways crossing the line, three wide crossing the line, and then one right behind them. Oh, the 87s? Look like the 87s, yep. Yeah, that's, the 87s are just awesome car. I want to run 87 cars just so I can get the chance to see one flip up in the air like this one did in this video because not too many of the other cars do this kind of get the air underneath them and just just launch in the air like the 87s do and um i haven't seen that in real life so i need to run some 87s at daytona or something Talladega, you get light through the infield or, or through the trioval there and yeah it'll just come over i, I don't know they have the radicals uh battling at uh I think Sebring or somewhere. And that was a pretty good battle. I mean, you could throw a blanket over four of them. And the very first one was a, a, a last lap pass at a um, 12 hour event. All those, when those, those last lap happens, last lap passes happen on like a, one of those real long 12 or 24 hour races. It's just amazing that after that much time, it came, comes down to the very final lap. Especially not having yellow flags to bunch it up and it's just natural. Exactly, yeah. Well, we all, it's interesting if you watch our video because you can see where a lot of our sim racing rigs are. And uh, this next guy has, I guess, at least that's what he names his channel, the sim racing den. Mike, have you checked this one out? Yeah, I, I got an ad from this company, the simracingden.com, for buying merchandise. And so I went to their website.com and, uh, there's a couple of them. I mean, I mean, there's a one shirt, eat, sleep, sim race, repeat. Uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, you know, like a four lines, eat, sleep, sim race, repeat. I might even get that one. $27. I just need lift added to that one, and it'd be, it would be my summers. Or there's a one, be faster, be last. There's one that says no speed limit. 
There's another one with this a, a black hoodie with a white square. It says Sim Racer. That's kind of cool. And of course, he's got a bunch of other stuff with his logo on it. But he has some neat uh, Sim Racing specific shirts. I wanted to mention them on the show. It's called the SimRacingDen.com. All right. So it's really already getting to be that time where the post is out for more schedules. You, if you go check out our show notes, you'll see that there's a few links to some of the different places where you can submit uh, schedules to the community leaders to get your ideas in uh, to see if, what tracks get run. Um, I know that for the, for the, for a while now, there hasn't been that much variety in, in the Euro sprint series, but I'm also guilty of not really pitching, chiming in on it. So, uh, I don't know about you guys. I mean, a open is going to be locked into the schedule, right? And so is NIS. Yeah. I mean, I don't have run the series that really, you know, matter where you need to pick, but if you're one of the people that run 12, you know, the 12 week seasons, get involved, you know, go to find that forum post for your particular series. There's basically a forum post for every series out there. And uh, you just participate with the community and try to come to some kind of consensus. And then one person sends it into Tyler or whoever is asking for it. Yeah. This used to be one of my um, favorite parts of, of the season kind of forecast what might be, what might be next and what tracks I might have to buy. Um, luckily that's dwindling down as I, as I go along, I, I purchase stuff, but uh, yeah, it's exciting. So whatever series you run, usually there's a, a schedule post in there for you to check it out. All right. So if you're interested, get your schedules in, uh, get participate in those communities. All right. Cause you never know what track you might be skating around on. Right, Steve. Yeah. The, uh, Parker Kligerman had a announcement or announced on a video that the uh, Euro NASCAR series will be racing on ice when it begins in 2023 in Finland. And, uh, he's, he's wanting to go over there and race that race on the ice. He said he'd, I guess he lived in Canada and he used to see the, uh, advertisements for it. So I think it'd be, sounds like it'd be a lot of fun and we need to get him over there to race. Now, I know they typically run road over there, um, but will this be some kind of ring or will it be a road course of, of ice, like a rally course almost? I would guess a road course, but not sure. There hasn't been a lot of details on it, but I think the thing, what's the iRacing angle on this is, uh, hey, uh, we're getting a rain model. Maybe we need a snow model. <laughs> is it snow or ice? Maybe an ice model, whatever you want to call it. I know we've, t we've talked about point to point in the past, like the, the, the mountain not being super popular, but would a point to point rally, um, would it exist and thrive in iRacing? Cause then you could bring in, you know, snow to that element. I mean, I don't see a lot of activity at Mount Washington. Like you said, there's not an official, there's no series. There's no, there's nothing in hosted rarely, you know, ghost it's, town. It's just not very exciting racing by yourself. Really, it, that's part of the sim. Part of the allure of the sim is, is online racing with other people. Like I had a blast trying to replicate, you know, Travis Pastrana's lap time, you know, and I did that for two or three weeks straight, you know. And uh, but once, you know, I was done with it. I was done with it, you know. Yeah, no, makes sense. I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. We had that California 300 out here, and it's a off-roading through the desert, and there's multiple trucks on the course at once. But you're not really racing as much. Maybe you might pass them. But I'm curious if something like that could be viable. 
Um, but like you guys said, you're not really, you're competing against other trucks per se, but you're really racing the environment more, more than, than everybody else. But then how do you work on the breaking down and repairing? Yes. I don't know. I always think about it sometimes though. I don't, I don't know about the, the rest of you, but it triggers some ancient memory in the back of my mind about some racing game that you raced on ice and it was kind of like a road course i can actually feel the layout still in my mind but i can't say what game it was or anything I, I, i'm that old it might be mario icart no i don't know maybe well the track that it certainly has a lot more grip than ice right now even though it's starting to build a little bit of age is texas and recently uh, Dale Jr. had Marcus Smith on his show, and he has stated that they are currently working with iRacing at looking at ideas for reconfiguration. So there you go. I think that's the first we heard a confirmation that iRacing's working on Texas. Um, what do you think, you guys? I mean, what do you guys? Would you? What would you do to it if you know you're redesigning it? You're sitting with your your keyboard and mouse, and you can turn it into whatever you want. Do you turn three and four into one and two? You know, make one and two the make it you know the same on both sides or vice versa. Well, Junior mentioned that they were he was a little concerned that the maybe the asphalt will finally get some character as it as it wears out. Uh, they they kind of don't like the product, but it takes some asphalts. So is it that it's new asphalt or is it the new design? So what I would suggest is they also just crank up the wear and tear on the current configuration and see how the cars behave. Um, don't don't disregard that option before you tear the track up again and just put brand new pavement down again. Maybe run a diamond cutter over it and get it abrasive. Get well, it wear the tires out. That maybe, or I don't know about that, but they could just go ahead and see what is what the track would behave like with if they put, say, something more like um, for three years on it, the old Atlanta surface on it, or something. You not the bumps, but just the the, the wear and see what that would do to it. I don't know why they cool. just they could the original. Sorry, I, oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to step on you. I was just thinking out loud when David was saying that. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if iRacing could, you know, say, "Hey, what would this surface look like or run like ten years from now?" They just they push a button and and it has ten wears ten years of wear on it, and it behaves like it, it was ten years older. That would be cool. I, I think, think they should go back to the original configuration they had there. I thought Texas was pretty fun track until they changed it, you know, and, and now with all the PJ one that they've sprayed, they've ruined the asphalt, they said. So, I mean, they're going to have to tear it up anyways to do something with it. Well, Marcus did state that they didn't like the results they were getting on the old configuration either. And, it, and it's hard with how oh. they, how massive they built those grandstands. They can't just, I mean, they could physically tear them down, but they're not going to want to. And the way it's configured in that goofy dog leg, like uh, Charlotte and Atlanta, it's very hard to work with that front stretch and make it anything different unless you're going to turn it into Atlanta. They definitely also said that it's not in the budget to move the grandstands. They, I mean, they have the same problem as Fontana. I mean, yeah, you have all these grandstands. I mean, do you keep it as a mile and a half even? I mean, maybe you make a mile track. Maybe you make a Phoenix or, a, you know, a New Hampshire or a, maybe even shorter, three-quarters mile of Richmond. And NASCAR owns Fontana, and they're ripping out the grandstands. It doesn't seem they, they care about the price. But um, SMI doesn't want to tear out grandstands, apparently. Well, they well, probably don't mind tearing up the grandstand value. when they're selling the property, you know. 
the the old the old Texas track though with this new car might run great. I mean, look at all the mile and a half tracks this year. They had awesome, probably the best racing they they've had all year has been on mile and a halfs. Yeah, the Charlotte's really come in really good um, over the recently. Um, that that track's really come in for a mile and a half track. It's just gonna be weird if if they fix the short track problem. Does that hurt the mile and a half package? Are they gonna have to have different car types per track not necessarily a looking car but you know get rid of the diffuser at short tracks keep the diffuser for the mile and a half and and whatnot well it'll be interesting to see uh let's uh toss this next one over to brian we got formula row 2.0 taking off yeah, this uh, originated from a post from Greg West in the iRacing forums, and he's saying that after a lot of discussion uh, combined with looking at the data um, and what's on the horizon, that horizon that iRacing has decided that they're going to take um, the Formula Renault 2.0 um, take off a season in season one. So they're not going to be running that Renault 2.0 um, for season one uh, coming up. So after that time, they're going to reevaluate the future of how the car is used in the service and, uh, and, and develop a plan after that. So kind of sounds like uh, it's possible that that car might be going away if they're reevaluating how it's being used in the service. Maybe it'll be turned into a legacy or something like that. Um, but apparently I'm, I'm assuming the participation is pretty low and they're not happy with that. And uh, they're going to reevaluate that series altogether. Yeah, I agree with this Mitch Mullins fellow from the comments in the, in the forum post. I mean, you have so many, you have three different ladders. It seems like with the open wheel cars and the, the Renault series kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. You have the IRO four and the F three for the, the formula side. And then you have the Indy pro and USF for the American side. So I guess I can see it. it and he even says it here, just if they're going to take it off, just get rid of it, uh, put it legacy and move on. So I kind of agree with his take here. Well, is it a case of nobody's running the race? I mean, he does mention the data. They can see how many participants there are. And, you know, to all for the three of you that, you know, ran all the races, you know, so sorry to the three of you. It, maybe it's one of those deals. Well, they wouldn't get rid of it if, if it was super popular or they wouldn't be taking a break. Right. Yeah, that's got to be part of it. Do, you, do any of you guys run the, that car? Don't even own it. Yeah, me neither. Dave, I, I like sports cars. I don't really do the open wheel so much. Oh, there's a lot of. If that's them any indication. <laughs> you know, like Donnie said, you got U.S. for you know ladder system. You got the European ladder system. You know. All right, we got a quick hit, kind of sort of on a little patch that came out this morning, I guess. Um, it resolved an issue with Creator Race that had something to do with AI, and that was in the UI. Um, they fixed some problems with team paint shop buttons that are where it's more uh, prominent on the team's model window. Um, dynamic imaging, some issue with that. That's basically a graphics fix, right? Then in race control, they fixed an issue where the race would not go green if there was no inside line leader on rolling starts. And on dynamic on with dynamic track on dirt ovals, they fixed an issue where dirt heights along the track walls led to excessive bumps and could cause snagging for cars that were using the new damage model. Fix some stuff with a spotter in the TJ and Steve pack. And they've done something to the IndyCar oval with time attacks to fix. Um, it was causing drivers to start on the road course stalls instead of 
and they and basically getting a bleep black flag right off the bat. So just a few small fixes here and there. Looks like it's all What's, fixed up just, for Mike and the UI. That's true. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, this, I um, point out, is this a download? Yeah, it was a quick load. I did it before. Okay. Today. I did I haven't been on today, so I didn't know if it was one of those automatic ones that they don't need a uh, a download. They updated something in the app again uh, for your smartphone. I do want to point out, I mean, when I click results, I still can't see, read the driver names. I mean, surely they can design it for iPhones when you have the font increased. Can you pinch your fingers together to make it smaller? No. But you, the, the apps can force whatever font size they want. Like Facebook always has the smallest font, and I can't change it no matter what. Um, but other apps, they they go with whatever you have set on the phone and that's the way they have this app set. But if you do that, you, you have to maybe uh, have certain pages where it doesn't do it. So you, it's still legible. I mean, right now it's not even, you can't even read it. So yeah, they just need to practice with an iPhone and turn up the font. Hopefully somebody there is listening because <laughs> I haven't, I've been too lazy to put it in the forums. They have to, I mean, do you guys run iPhones? Are you guys having similar problems? I'm sure somebody at iRacing has an iPhone and has come across this. So, right? And maybe has bad eyes like me and turns the font up. There's a new set of pedals entering the market and they look promising. Simcoaches is finally releasing a set of load cell pedals. They've taken their years of knowledge building pedals and created a set of load cell pedals at an affordable cost. No longer worry about not being able to fill the car under your feet or wondering where the limit is. Have confidence as you enter corners and know the car is going to stick. There's no higher quality pedals on the market. They're even offering their lifetime warranty with the pedals. Take the leap and upgrade to Simcoaches today. Go to Simcoaches.com to pre-order your set of load cell pedals and say big when you do. Use promo code iRacersLounge. You won't regret it. Housekeeping, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for listeners to find us. Mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. We are on Discord. We have our website. And we're in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network and the Sim Racing Channel on Roku TV. All right, Brian, tell us how fantasy went. All right, guys. So uh, what we got? Two races left after this past week, right? So um, coming into the final couple races of the year, and the last one was at Homestead. Uh, the winner of the week was Mud Dog with Silver Mustang 91 in second, Res Dog in third. Um, we had a, a Tifosi driver in fourth. Uh, that was uh, Tony Rochette. And uh, we also had uh, Tony Groves in the top 10. He finished in ninth. And uh, Tyler uh, finished in a tie for 14th so a few Tifosi guys on the front page of this uh of the standings for the week when we look into the uh, overall series standings uh louder racing is still holding on to lead with O baby 44 in second and 21 f in third and greg is in seventh place in the overall standings for the season we got some surprises for the winner of the league the fantasy league. So um, 
if you're in the running for the top uh, spot, uh, get to it because you're going to like what we got coming. So any talk about next week uh, or this coming weekend? Uh, I mean, who do you guys like? Hopefully Blaney wins, but yeah. <laughs> you know his luck this year, though. The last two weeks have been his fault, unfortunately, but that's just uh, the story of my sports watching life. I do. Think I think if I was going, sorry, sorry, Dave. I think if I was going outside of the uh, playoff drivers, um, I think we'd look at Martin Truex. He was, had some lot of speed last week, and he's gotten really good on these short tracks. Um, and he's probably a little upset after the way things turned out last week as well. But he has terrible luck, so that might be the uh, that might be the downside for him. You guys that are close or just barely above the bubble on the points who, who probably need to, to are going to try to points in instead of, instead of win in, they're probably not going to win because they're going to sacrifice their last track position to win state, get, to get a high finish in stage one and stage two. Yep. Good point. Well, that's one of the things I really don't like about stage racing is people are giving up, you know, possibly winning the race just in order to win a section of a race. To me, that seems so dumb. It's it's not the point of racing is not to win, you know, the at the third mark or the two thirds mark. It's to win the race. And if it's more lucrative to to uh, sacrifice a, a possible race win just to get points for the middle sections of the race, it's dumb. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I understand why they do it and everything, but I just don't like it. I, I mean, if anything, make the points a lot lower in the stages than they are for the, for the weight race win. Maybe that way they could have their cake and eat it too. But yeah, I, I, I don't like that part about the stage racing. Well, maybe they have the stage points be a lesser value, you know, than they currently are. So yeah, that's people what I meant. don't make that choice, you know? And then you got guys that dominate, though. They dominate the stages and, and win the race like uh, Gregson did at uh, this last weekend at Homestead in the Xfinity Cup, Xfinity car. All right. Uh, one, th- one more thing on Homestead. I mean, Kyle Larson ripping the top, ripping the fence. Man, he put on a show. And if you run iRacing, I mean, you got to get in the A car. You got to get at Homestead. And you got to try to rip the fence like Kyle Larson. And it's possible. It is possible to do what he was doing. I've I'm really glad to do it a few times too, but it's it's hard. It's hard. I have to give myself a little escape room if I if I miss it. Him and him and Greg. There's a handful that. of guys that can that can nail it. But you guys are right. It just it's incredible to watch, and it's super difficult even to attempt on on the service. If if you if you are giving yourself an escape route, Dave, though, aren't you kind of defeating the purpose? Are you losing? And speed trying by not being that close yeah. to an extent because the lefts are yeah the left yeah. down on that lower angle yeah but um I, I only go up high if i have to to get around somebody otherwise i'm running i'm going low but i can i can make about half a lane down work and get around somebody if they're trying to hold me up a good way to practice i really, is I really like damage off i'm glad that the new cars um let you know that the high line still was faster in the new car and that it didn't change because i think the really exciting thing to watch when they're when they're ripping the fences like that i'm curious how many people because we only had a handful of guys do it in the the cup race but larson and gregson seem to take it to another level 
And I'm just curious how many people, how many race car drivers out there on planet Earth can can do that? Because it just looks, to do it continuously for the 400 miles was, it's just super impressive. Well, you had Almondigger too running, you know, a lane and a half off the wall, and he was he was fast. I mean, if he got by um, the kid, what's the other kid's name that was second? If he got by him, he might have given Larson a run. Chastain. Chastain was looking good too, wasn't he? Yeah, really good. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. Hardware Software, brought to you by Supreme 3D Printing. Are you looking for that next sim rig upgrade, or maybe your man cave needs a little more style? Or is your wife wanting to redecorate your home? Well, we here at Supreme 3D Printing have you covered. We create and print tons of different and useful items that is sure to fit everyone's style and budget. If you don't see what you're needing, then feel free to contact us for your needed item. They have the Etsy shop at etsy.com, Supreme 3D Printing. All right, the first hardware item on the docket is the Thrustmaster T128. It's been revealed as an entry-level force feed, feedback wheel for the PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Are you guys excited? I could hardly sleep when this thing was announced. <laughs> uh, uh, I almost thought this was their direct drive, and I was like, wow, it got announced with no any kind of fanfare whatsoever. How'd they do this? Uh, but then it's not. It's, is it their low, low wheel now? It's only 199 and um i don't know it doesn't look i guess it'd be you know some toy by maybe a kid or something well is is this one that had been teased in promos for like two years or is this something different this has to be different because that thing's supposed to be a direct drive this is um not a direct drive so the direct drive does come out later in october according to this article of what year Right. Good question. Later in October, it's it's like with three days left in October. <laughs> this this wording is funny. Thrustmaster will finally reveal its first ever direct drive wheel that will re- rival the high end Fanatec GD GTDD Pro next month. It's going to rival it. Mm. This will be the price. The T one twenty eight. No, the direct drive wheel that they're going to be put out. There was a. Uh... I, I threw it away though from last week there was a review on this thing but it was pretty poor you have to review it in, in relevance to what to what you're reviewing it as because obviously things have its steps and um you can't compare this to the higher end stuff but if it's something you're going to walk through a store and i don't know maybe buy your 10 year old kid something different then maybe it's good who knows i think you said it right though you can't compare it to the higher end stuff, but they tried to in the article. That's that's kind of what I'm laughing at. I get you. So back back when I started sim racing, if you were new to sim racing, how did you get involved? You bought a, a Thrustmaster or a Logitech. It's exactly because you didn't know about anything else. You didn't know about it. Exactly. You couldn't go to a store and buy that kind of stuff. Right. You go to Best Buy, and these are the two options. You know. So I don't blame people who buy it. You know, it is an entry-level wheel, and and I had an entry-level wheel. I I had the Logitech G27 for a long time, and it serves me very well. And um, and you know, I'm sure this would for an entry-level, you know, somebody getting in too. Yeah, the, the review I saw, they couldn't really understand why they came out with this unless they thought it was replacing their other low-entry wheel, but they didn't really know. 
Well, probably just being able to say it's a direct drive is just going to be able to, it's just the only way they can say they're kind of keeping up with the other technology that's out there. Yeah. Cause this the one, wheel they haven't announced yet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this one came out the same week. They announced this one the same week as the uh, Logitech DD came out. So I think they were trying to steal some thunder from it. I didn't see a lot of thunder though. <laughs> I mean, I found this one article and I really didn't see anything else. Uh, so, so yeah, they need, like I've said before, with Thrustmaster, they need some help in the marketing department and social media. All right, well, Donnie, let's stock uh, the two new videos out of from Sim Coaches. Yeah, so they put out a couple of videos this week. Um, one going over their rigs that they have for sale. Their turnkey rigs. You can go on their website, and uh, they have different layer uh, levels to the turnkey cockpits they have. Uh, the ones in here. Um, uh, my boy helped size them for their event they had in Vegas. They had a go-kart one that uh, actually turns into a full-size rig once you're out of the go-kart stage. So that's kind of cool. Um, and their prices prices vary. And it comes with everything, the computer they build as well. So it comes with the computer, the monitor mounts, the monitor, uh, the rig, the pedals. It comes with the three-set pedal the, with the two hydraulic, the clutch, and the brake. Um, comes with a Simucube, I believe a Pro for the wheelbase. Uh, I believe you are also get, would get a uh, one of their hydraulic handbrakes as well. Um, so yeah, they have different levels to what they're offering. And then the second video they put out was uh, kind of going over their origin of what how they started off as a company and how they decided to start making pedals, which I thought was really cool, um, just to have the confidence and the and the and actually the material and tools to be able to do something like that. But uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. He he's told the story before where him and his buddy were upstairs racing and they're like, hey man, we could we can make our own pedals if we really wanted to. And sure enough, uh, they did. Yeah. Pretty neat to kind of hear the origins of the company. And he said he was given coaching lessons to racing drivers. Uh, and, and he just kind of turned it, turned into this. And so it's, it's pretty cool. Now those rigs, I mean, the price, I mean, I saw 9,000, 11,000, I think 15,000, but like you said, they're turnkey. I mean, they literally include everything you need. Like you don't have to add nothing to this. It's, it's ready to race, right? Yeah, everything's ready. He actually delivered one um, to the town south of me. Uh, the last time I came out, he had happened to just say he, he drove past my house and, and down south and delivered one of the rigs to somebody. I don't know which, which, which one he did deliver, but um, it's just he is selling some of them, which is nice to see. But yeah, you just essentially, if that's what you want, you don't want a hassle of nothing. Um, he just shows up with the rig, they assemble it, and then, then you're good to go. Um, if you look at the thumbnail, Mike, I had mentioned this to you before. ASR came out with that Pro, or R coming out with that Pro, that lime green one that has the solid panels. So what those are, and I, the last time I was at the shop, I, I saw it and I noticed it, and I, I asked him what they were, and all that is is a, a plate that he has uh, in a way of attaching to the rig itself. So he, he could put, uh, you could put your logo on there if you'd like. That way it doesn't, make it permanent you could take the plates off if you want um that way you can still have your adjustability so those are uh he put magnetic strips within the the grooves of the the extrusion and then you can attach uh face plates to them and then you could put whatever logo you want on there any kind of design you come up with or or whatnot so does he sell the uh, mon those cool monitor mounts does he sell those separately or only on his rigs um no you can buy i'm actually i don't I'm probably picking one up at the end of the end of the month. Um, I don't know when he plans on releasing them. 
But uh, last time I was at the shop, he has like a whole rack of them ready to go. I don't know exactly what he's waiting for to, to release them. But the cool thing about it, and you'll see it in some of the videos, so that's a single monitor mount, and he has a triple monitor mount that's built the same way, and it hinges. So you, when you pull your cockpit into you, you can actually open the left side or right side and swing it open. And the alignment's awesome. It's made out of the aluminum. It's super strong. Um, it's actually impressive how strong it is uh, to be able to hold up the monitors. Just look at that. There's no wiggle to it at all. There's uh, your monitors are perfectly lined up. Uh, so hopefully, when I make my trip out there later this month or next month, I could get me a, a triple monitor mount. I'm quite envious that you can just hop over there and visit him. I would love that opportunity. It's it's two and a half hours. Well, three. He's on the north end of town, so it's three hours from where I'm at here. But uh, it gives me an excuse now. We, me and my wife, we don't like Vegas whatsoever. We're not gamblers. We're not big drinkers. But now it gives me a reason to kind of sneak over there i guess i mean what it's a great value i'm sure for some people that you can buy this 80 20 cockpit put together and you don't have to personally put it together i mean it was a struggle for me to put mine together in fact i didn't do it well because my wheelbase is cockeyed a little bit you know i didn't measure it just perfect and i'm off two millimeters on something and it made it the whole thing cockeye and um and so to, to have a you know professionals you know put it together on your behalf obviously you're paying a premium for that but if you have the money and you're a busy person this might be something you're interested in when you get old like us it's hard crawling around on the ground too isn't <laughs> it mike right i also recall having to take something back off because i put it on facing the wrong direction oh yeah before we hit the next one on the script, we're going to jump off script a little bit. Steve, you just posted something hot off the presses. Why don't you tell us about that one real quick? Yeah, I, so I signed up this morning for the uh, to get notified when the new pedal comes out from uh, SemiCube. So anyways, they just sent me a 5% off wheelbases for 24 hours only using the code active pedal. So I thought uh, that might come in handy there for you, Mike. You know, if, if I was ready to buy. <laughs> The active pedals thing was interesting. Is would be interesting too. It will. That's a teaser for a little bit later. So yeah, if you're ready to buy your uh, your semi cube today, go do it. Um, speaking of things you've recently bought, Mike, uh, we got a review on the Go Gomez Sim Industries GSI. Well, I certainly didn't buy this one, but boy, what a nice wheel! Uh, we got a proper review from Boosted Media. Will Ford, uh, he loves it. <laughs> is basically the bottom line. Um, he goes over in detail like he usually does what he thinks of it. Uh, the title of his video, Is This the Best Ever Sim Racing Wheel? So if that doesn't give you uh, some idea of what, what he thinks of it, then I don't think anything will. Yeah, I've had the chance to hold this thing um, a couple times in the last couple months. I actually held it last week when I purchased uh, my Simicube. And um, it's impressive. Uh, the grips are awesome. Uh, they're almost too big for for what I would like. And your thumb hole, you, um, it's barely enough room for your thumb hole. But when you're holding it, it feels good. Um, like Will said, all the buttons, everything on there is aluminum. Uh, you're not going to worry about anything breaking. All the dials were great, uh, good retention when you would click them. So it's an awesome wheel. I've only heard great things about this this wheel. But, um, yeah. Where'd you hold it at? Uh, once at Lawrence's uh, shop, we got hopped on that rig and we drove it around. Um, 
last month and then at the micro center here in uh, Tustin is where, where I bought the, the wheel. And they had this one actually, actually, Matt, they had this wheel for everybody to go and hop on and touch. And I was like, wow, it's pretty crazy. But they have a couple different uh, GSI wheels there that you can purchase. Uh, $1,250. Yeah, there's a couple different uh, models. There's there's one that you could get for 11 and then 12 and then 13. But at that point, I don't know the difference. I mean, all these wheels in this price range, you know, the, the 1200 to to fifteen hundred. I mean, they're all great. I mean, you really can't go wrong with any choice. Um, so, you know, do I second guess a little sometimes? I mean, you look at how much I paid for the cube controls with the VAT um, and all the shipping and tax. I w it was almost as much as this wheel cost, and so um, it's a comparable price. So something I'm I'm learning as I go for when I make my purchase later on is um the aluminum the aluminum caps uh the buttons uh, being aluminum and even the trimming around like that screen there and even the back plate um the material that this wheel uses and in the materials and future wheels that you would want to purchase but most of the good ones have an aluminum back casing as well that keeps it keeps it sturdy but all about the construction you could buy an expensive wheel but if it's not constructed right or they don't use the right materials like, could you drop it on the floor and not panic about it breaking? You almost looks like you could drop this and it wouldn't break. Like the way you described how it looks, you know, they got little surrounds on the buttons to protect them. The screen is recessed and so forth. I wouldn't go throwing it on the ground, though, because it still has PCP on the inside, right? Or PC board. Sure. You know, the, the one drawback I don't like on this wheel over the one I have is the screw-in cabling. So you have, you know, you have to run a USB cord to the computer. You have to screw it into the back of the wheel. And uh, yeah, it doesn't come loose. And I just love that magnetic thing on mine where, you know, if the wheel starts spinning, you know, after, in a crash and the cable needs to come loose, it does come loose. And there's something about the bottom portion of this wheel that I can't fall in love with. I, I, I'm not 100% sold and just the way the wheels, the design of the wheel itself, everything else. I mean, you can customize your buttons if you'd like color-wise, but something about the bottom half of it, I'm, I can't sell myself on for this wheel in particular. It's not a terrible layout, but unless you're like a giant, those bottom buttons are hard to reach. Maybe that's just because I'm small, but I don't get a lot of functionality out of the buttons that I can't just reach real, real close, especially if I'm in the race conditions. All right, the next thing we have is a motion rig review. Uh, or it's not really a review, but we're, we're going to check out a YouTube video and the website. It's the Mantis FS2 formula style wheel. It's got two directions of freedom, so it can pitch and it can roll. Um, it can't really do yaw. Uh, it's a formula style seating. It, it's very, it is very adjustable, and it also is designed where you can pop the basically pop a little switch and lower the wheel so that you can get it out of the rig easily. Uh, so the price though, 2,500, I guess with motion, that's not terrible. Now only having the two DOF, is that, would that be worth it? You're getting the up, down and left and right for, for you folks that have the four corners. Um, is this, I guess for that kind of cockpit that you can't really do too much. Yeah. Like with mine, with the four actuators and using the sim racing studio, it actually, you can, you can program it so it's actually using like six DOF because you get surge, surge in uh, 
and uh, traction loss too, even with just four actuators. So, I mean, what'd you pay for your actuators, Brian? Because I built mine. What were yours? Um, it was like right around three grand, and that was with the Thanos and all the uh, everything else. It was ready to go for that price. Yeah, well, like you said, that with the two with the two actuators. Even you can pitch and roll, which means you can do any combination of both of those as well. So it it actually has a it it's not stuck with only pitching or rolling. So you can dip just the left front down or just the right front down, even though there's no actuator up there. Yeah, I don't I don't I actually like this design. I'm curious about how strong the the wheel mount will be that it can articulate pretty easily can come in and out and up and down. So I'm curious how strong that's going to be. You don't see those designs too often, but uh. I, for a formula cockpit, I, I kind of like it. I'm just curious how you get in and out of it comfortably. I think the wheel, actually the wheel pedestal collapses forward. But, um, it does. Yeah. It has a, it has a hook. open up a lot of room. It has a hook, yeah, that works almost kind of like a latch for an instrument case or, or a suitcase or something. Or especially sound equipment. If you're ever messing with sound equipment, you twist this latch and it really locks on there secure. Now, how are you guys getting in there? Now I think about it. You you climb over after you lo- drop the wheel, because you unhat you unlatch the wheel and it leans up almost against the pedals. Yeah, you would almost have to have your legs hanging down to the floor and then lift the lift the um, the dry the uh, wheelbase up to you, and then you can put your feet kind back up. Step I guess. into it. Yeah. You break your neck if you're drunk racing. <laughs> it's a neat design. The way. That you know, happens, just Steve. the way the top part of it looks, you know, the way it's all formula style, it's very minimalistic. I can see it being done with the race. Not you, Mike, just it's anybody in general, just getting done with the race. And then you have that long thought, like, how am I getting out of this thing? <laughs> you're just going to have to flop your body out and roll over. But uh, I'd like to see it. So I think the video we saw here is a, a rendering. So I want to see somebody get in and out of this thing comfortably. Maybe you have some yeah, chains but- on the ceiling that you pull. You pull yourself in and out of maybe. And what if you have you to go. pee? Oh my God. I know sometimes in my rig, I can't get out of it fast enough. I can't imagine getting out of this thing. Well, <laughs> luckily we have catheters now. Big, big catheters. That's right. I'm waiting for my big catheter. I hope it's big enough. Your eye catheter. Okay, so <laughs> the reason we have this on the show, guys, is pre-orders are expected to open Q4. So that's four days from now. Uh, with the first units expected to ship uh, quarter one, 2023. I wonder if in our G5 seats, if we get electrocuted, if you if you had to pee in your seat like the regular NASCAR drivers do, huh, Brian? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I hope not. You have to ground yourself somehow. On the website where they're selling it, they have this cool picture of all the parts laid out on the floor for the entire project. And, and I think that's what they ship you. You know, you have to put it together. It's part of the journey, part of the fun. All right, Brian, looks like we're looking at a new uh, competitor in the, or new release in the VR world. And this, this sucker looks really uh, non-bulky. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting design. It's different than I think I've ever seen. It's called a Mini X. Um, it's a, um, it's a, actually, uh, they're, affiliated with um another company um i'll I'll remember it in a minute but it's um so it's a vr headset what makes it really different is that instead of having the one face shield that you typically see it's got individual um shields on each eye so it so 
more like a real high-tech pair of glasses or binoculars almost where you have the two individual eyes. Um, so very, very interesting design. Uh, it looks very futuristic and, and, uh, and, 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 and whatnot. It's, um, so the, some of the things I did, uh, was able to learn about this thing from uh, Sebastian Ang in the uh, MRTV review. Or it's not really a review. He did. He was at a trade show and and tried it out. But um, uh, so it's got uh, it's got inside out tracking and in and outside in. So it supports outside in, which if uh, it wouldn't really help you in racing. But if you if you have like uh, the controllers for the um, for some of the other uh, systems, you can use the hand controllers with the outside uh, cube cube uh, controllers thing. So. Uh, so you can use outside or in or inside out for the valve index controller. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's got OLED panels instead of the LCDs. Now, a lot of people have moved away from OLED um, because uh, you couldn't do the sub-pixels in, in it. And uh, so the resolution kind of suffered a little bit. OLEDs were always really good for like deep black. Like a real true black is only is not really uh is not really something you can get out of a, a regular LED LED screen, but the OLED OLED screens do have that true black. So it's got a real dark, um, real depth in the dark colors. Um, he said it's very bright for o, OLED, which is good because typically the the OLED OLED screens are not quite as bright. Um, he also mentioned that the resolution is high. It's like 2,500, uh, 25 by 25 uh, per eye, which is which is pretty high. That's that's getting up there again because it doesn't have the sub panels, sub pixels like the LEDs do. You know, it might it might be equivalent to to a, like a 4K, like a 2100 by 2100, like the HP Reverb. So. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's an interesting looking design. Um, they mentioned in the trade show that they're shooting for a December 2022 launch on this. So it's actually going to be coming out fairly soon. Um, and uh, and they didn't nail down a price yet, but he said it's probably going to be over $1,000. And that's all he could really commit to just because the pricing of, uh, of the components have been in such flux over the past uh, 12 months. I assume this uses a Steam VR since they use the index controllers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it says Panasonic in the background. Yeah, Panasonic. These Panasonic. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a division of Panasonic. That's what I was trying to remember there. He's got to be the smallest, lightest, less intrusive goggles I've seen yet. And if you could sim race on these, man, I'd be waiting for these. Because it just it doesn't have that bulky, you know. You look at what David Hall when he races, when he used to stream, you would have that rift on your face, David, and it just looks so big and heavy. Uh, man, this looks so much. This looks like it's less than half the weight. Yeah, but I, once you get into the race, you don't really. It doesn't feel heavy. You know, it's not like it's not any heavier than wearing a helmet. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's an indication of the weight because I think there's a lot more in spaces in in the VR headsets like like the HP Reverb is, you know. And this seems like it's probably it's cutting down on some of that uh, the bulky size of it. But I bet you the weight's probably 
um, comparable would be my guess. But but the design is is a lot more streamlined look. It looks Smaller. more like glasses. Yeah, it looks more like glasses than you know that big monocle thing that goes over your eyes. So it's just a neat design, and uh, I'm really interested to hear more about this. This is a uh, 2560 by 2560 uh, screens. That's a pretty high resolution. So I mean, this could could give uh, give some of the higher end headsets like the Vero Vero um, uh, a run for their money for for being top of the line headsets. There's no over the head over the top of the head strap. Like it, the strap just goes straight back around the back of your head. Uh, that's kind of unique too, right? And that might be a pretty good indicator that it's lighter because the other ones mm-hmm. you don't have that strap. It 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 basically won't. It hold. falls. Yeah, that's a good point. It's interesting. My G two, I bought a I bought a little kit that adds to the G two, and it's got a big thick foam strip that goes over the top of the head, but it's got a counterweight that you put on the uh, back strap behind your head and it completely takes any of the pressure off your face. So you don't even really even know that you're wearing anything. That's cool. You're saying make it heavier to make it more comfortable. Well, it, it counterweights it. So it just, it takes the mask completely off your face. There's no pressure on your face whatsoever. That's always the part that kind of irritated me a little bit, but you don't even feel it. Your chin falls. You're shifting what's called the center of mass. From from the forward to in the middle of your head, right. So you get the ha- the halo around your top of your head is supporting the weight, not not on your bridge of your nose. It's like if you've if you've ever marched drums, the bass drum is actually the lightest to carry because it carry you carry it high, whereas the snare drum and the and the tenors are actually harder on the lower back because they they're they're at that lower level, and so the weight's just so much further forward on you. I can turn anything into marching band if I want. <laughs> but uh maybe not this thing uh what do you think of the we got the reviews here on the sim racing from sim racing corner on the new logitech uh pro ddd will uh what do you think mike yeah sim racing corner uh got his hands on it and did some racing i mean he, he had good things to say about how it felt as far as the force feedback um like almost like feeling new stuff maybe he hasn't felt before kind of thing but i don't know he actually used the word spectacular so and kind of made the comment about how everybody just assumed this thing was going to be garbage and we kind of i don't i don't think we were going to call it garbage but we were very dismissive of it when we first saw it based on what it looked like and being logitech and being a thousand dollars um but he uh he seemed to really like this wheel um so we'll see we'll see how it is he was even comparing it to some of the higher end uh direct drives yeah, he's got a Leo Bodnar that he that he uh, compared it to, and he said the fidelity was better than Leo Bodnar. They has a paid three thousand pounds, however much that is in U.S. dollars. Wow, that's saying something, isn't it? Right? Yeah, and he said he said the uh, pedals felt really good too. He said they looked cheap as hell, but he said they they performed performed really well. So I don't know. I, I don't think I'd buy one, but interesting with the fidelity he was talking about in it. Yeah, he had this mounted on a rig too, so we all, we had that question going into it: how easy would it be to mount to a rig? And he had it mounted, but uh, yeah. Um, again, if you want to spend the eleven hundred dollars for it, then you know go for it. Or is it nine? I can't remember. 
But um, yeah, he he really likes the wheel. He uh, like I said, he called it spectacular. So let's wait for some other reviewers um, and see what some of the other people that we normally listen to what do, what do they say about it? Do they say the same thing? So I wouldn't go buying this off of one guy's video, but not yet. I will say this: as much as we've been knocking them as as the entry level, like you said, my G twenty seven lasted years. It it actually held up to a lot of abuse. So um, they don't they don't build them cheap in that sense. They they definitely have some durability to them. And that that's the big box manufacturers probably. They, they can do that. They could, if they're going to put it into a store, it's probably going to have some decent quality to it where you could beat the heck out of it and it, it stayed doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, we'll see, see the, what the staying power is on this guy and what it can do from here. I wonder if you could, uh, put a bigger wheel on this. I mean, that was, that was one downfall. He said, you know, the wheel felt cheap. That's it. That's all they got so far is that one wheel that it comes with. So unless they can find some aftermarket hub or uh, a wheel you could attach to it, then, then potentially, now, it does have a quick release, uh, I remember, so that leaves the opportunity open for Logitech to offer different wheels. I know some of the companies made adapters on the old G27 and G29 that you could put bigger wheels on, but they were pretty hard on the motor on those. You wonder if the DIY community will pick up on that and come up with something that would work? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And the other th weird thing we talked about this wheel last week too was it you know turns what one and a half or two times and stops it doesn't spin all the way yeah keep spinning that is odd maybe they have a half a direct drive motor in there yeah what would make it stop what would uh i'm curious what what's stopping it that's it, got to be uh, the way it's wired I, I think wiring like there's a wiring harness so they don't so they make it where you can only twist it so many t times before it hard stops. That's just a guess. But it, it eliminates a lot of engineering and design problems if you have a hard stop, because how, uh, how else do you wire it when it's a continuous spin, you know? I don't know this new wheel uh, I picked up, you can just spin it forever for whatever reason, and it doesn't right. stop whatsoever. Yeah, yeah the great design. Like that, or... Yeah, Fanatex got it that way. So. Something the helicopters do, maybe. I don't know. Well, this next one has definitely more than two directions of freedom, right, uh, Brian? Yeah, this is a cool uh, cool rig. It's from SimCraft. Um, and, uh, looks like it's, it might have been the video is on Instagram. It looks like it might have been from a trade show or something. But um, So it's uh, it's got uh, six degrees of freedom. Um, they're showing it. Uh, somebody driving it going up Mount Washington. Um, they said that that was a good uh, good track to use in order to uh, to show off some of the uh, some of the motion in this. But um, so it's it's just a it's a it's a badass it's a badass rig. It's got the um, you know the overhead bar the the round bars tubular bars that reach over top and it's like a fully encapsulated cockpit. Um, it's got a big big uh i only see uh, yeah triples big triple screens um really cool it's it's an awesome setup and simcraft you know they're just they're just top of the line as far as rigs go it almost looks like the centerpiece of the of the cockpit is suspended right? just kind of floating in there yeah but what i 
about it is it does have a lot of motion so there's a lot of motion in this thing um, but the monitors are moving with the driver and I think that's really important when you when you've got a, a motion rig that has a lot of uh, travel in it because I, I just can't imagine if my monitors didn't move just getting a, a sense of you know you start looking over the top the wheel because the monitors are down low as you're leaning back you know so this doesn't do that. All these three big monitors move at the same time as you're racing. And that's, I think that's the best way to go if you're doing monitors in motion. You know, it's interesting is uh, Coco, um, he, uh, Peter, Peter Kopko, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, he, he and I built the, our rigs at the same time. And he, uh, he had, I think there were 32 inch monitors they originally put on it and they were, they moved with the machine, but then he wanted to build like his own cockpit. So he got the, uh, I think it was a 60 inch monitors. And so with those, he had to go stationary. And I, cause you know, it gave him like a full wrap around vision on it. And, um, I asked him, you know, if it, what, what he liked better. And he said it, it really didn't make any difference whether the monitors were moving with the rig or not. So those were his thoughts. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but you know that's a 60 inch monitors you probably have a hard time missing that damn screen when they're that big is simcraft yeah, i agree the top with of the mountain when it comes to rigs it's one of them i mean this is yeah, the one sure. that kyle bush has denny hamlin has this one so for how awesome it is uh, we, we talked about this for a couple of weeks ago regarding its sound but for how awesome it is it does look a little overwhelming like i feel like i on a random Wednesday night, something might go wrong that is going to screw up my uh, racing night and I have to go in there and figure it out. But that aside, this thing, it's incredible. Every time I see it, you need a if, lot of space for that rig too. If my wife's yeah, fan only do. account goes Tall better, sounds. maybe I'll get one. <laughs> um, where would you, buck? I mean, can you get a bunch of butt kickers and I mean, you got tubes everywhere. You could put butt kickers all over this thing. How'd you get her to start one? Because that's a great idea. Uh, well, she doesn't know about it, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's even better. You know, I think, Brian, you're onto something with the monitors moving with you. Uh, the, the, everything moves in, in this scenario. And, and I think if you're going to spend this kind of money on motion and you're going to not do VR, you you got to think about having the monitors move with you. I think I think that's key, like you said. Now, yeah. But, and, sorry, Dave. Good. Um, can't you change the settings in iRacing to move basically synchronize with your motion rig if you have the stationary monitors? Yeah, you can undo the lock to the horizon. You know, with the, the slider, which is how I run it already. Yeah, my car moves around with the stationary monitors. So it might work, but I, I like the idea of the monitors moving with it. Yeah, I think in this rig, that's the only way is either VR or these monitors. I don't think you could do 60-inch monitors on this thing. I think VR might take away from the beauty of the rig. You don't get to see it. Well, it's, you got to show it off. That's the really, that's who cares what you see. It's whatever everybody else sees. <laughs> All right. Well, the next thing we have up is a PXN V10 unboxing. This is... um. Uh, the YouTube channel is Geek Street, and he's reviewed this entry-level force feedback wheel. Uh, Steve, you give this one a look. Yeah, I, I looked over the review. Um, he, uh, I mean, it's pretty, 
pretty cheap wheel. Um, he said it has 3.2 newton meters of strength on it. Um, it, ha it has clutches on it also besides paddle shifters, unlike uh, you know the G29. And he said the all the pedals feel the same. They've got like a weird adjustment on them that tightens the spring up um, from the bottom. So you can take the play out of them. Um, he didn't seem too impressed with those, but he said it was a good entry entry wheel and it works on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation 3. And there's also a mobile app. So um, I guess you can adjust things on the fly. It hooks up to Bluetooth so you could adjust your wheel wheel and uh, wheel while you're while you're driving, I guess off your off the mobile app. Biggest thing yeah. I noticed at a glance is the uh, the uh, tiny wheel. It's a really small oval wheel. That's what I was going to say. Very tiny. That thumbnail doesn't do it justice. It's uh, it's a little itty bitty wheel. But cogs and gears are are what that wheel's uh, composed of. Did you see how he put the wheel on? How he put it on, and he's got there's a nut that's that tightens up to keep the wheel from flying off. It might be plastic as well. That wheel nut. Um, Oh, did you notice watching the video when he was driving, you can hear him actually clicking the shifter, the, the paddles. It was really loud, but he did say that the clutch paddles didn't have any noise or any retention whatsoever. It was just kind of like a, a paddle that maybe a micro switch of some sort, but no click. But the, the actual up and down shifting uh, was a very loud clicking sound. Yeah, clutch pedals are not supposed to have a click. They're they're analog, and so makes sense. You know, they're it's like a it's a paddle that works like a pedal. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. He said it didn't make any uh, sound or any clicking or nothing. Three hundred thirty dollars US. You get the pedals, the shifter, the base, the wheel, the whole thing. That wheel was really small, though. So if anybody's just watch the video, look at the wheel. It's it's got to be one of the smallest you can get. It's like eight inches or nine inches or I don't know. It makes me think it's of one of those really little little racing ga console games that, that you could get when when back in the eighties that have the tiny little wheel and. I had that guy. It had a little a little screen with it and a little shifter to the right. Yeah. All right. So it looks like uh, we have some t uh, Intel versus AMD tests that are out. Donnie. Yeah. So I'm not the most computer savvy. Uh, so I'll leave it for one of you guys. But it looks like the Intel and AMD, uh, the Intel Core i7, the 13700K, and the AMD Ryzen 7, the 7700X uh, were put to the test against each other. And uh, for those of you who read and went through this and understand it, uh, what would you guys come up with? Uh, I read it. Um, and uh, anyways, on the desktop applications, you know, like Photoshop and video editing and stuff like that. It it looked like the uh, the Ryzen, actually the 7950X was the top, and then the 7700 after that. But in gaming, they were pretty even. Which was what was really interesting was uh, Seta Corsa, the old AMD Ryzen 7 5800 XD X3D, which is is a chip that Mike always kind of refers to, it actually blew away those in in racing. So it, I think it'll be interesting when when Ryzen comes out with there's I think it's a 7700 X3D. That may be the chip to go to. I think I'm I'm going to hold off until they come out with that chip to do any upgrades. So is it sounding like um, 
Ryzen for the chip and then obviously Nvidia for the the graphics. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what I mean th that was the only gaming uh sim that they you know that they that they tried out was a set of Corso and like I said it was the old chip that the old 5800X 3D chip that whipped both the new chips the Intel and the AMD so it might uh they didn't have an iRacing comparison but I know everybody on iRacing you know talks about that X 3D chip being probably the fastest one for iRacing at this point so it might be worth waiting till they come out with the 7 7700 X 3D chip you know as you go down the list and look at all the different titles I mean they're pretty evenly matched in, in some cases, um, the Intel and the AMD. So like you said, it's probably best to wait. Yeah, especially with the AMD, with the new Ryzen chips, you know, the motherboards are dang expensive. I, you can't get one for, I think, less than $600 at this point. You know, and the top ones are like twelve hundred dollars, which that's a lot of money to spend. And the and the new uh, the new memory is expensive too. The the five gigahertz stuff. And so yeah, if you want to pick all the best components, Steve, you're, you're, it's a pretty hefty bill, right? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be really hefty at this point. For for someone who only has this computer for iRacing, triple monitor setup, I. I don't understand why I would need something of this nature. Um, I capped my FPS at 84. I know that's more graphics than anything, but I don't know what I'm missing out on. So maybe I just got to see somebody else's rig and see what am I missing? I mean, I, I feel like it works perfectly fine. Uh, you know, all my speeds are fine, and I, I just don't understand the need for the highest level uh, CPU chip. I think if you run in VR, it makes a huge difference. I mean... Even with my 4090 chip, I I ran into some problem. I actually reinstalled iRacing this week, and I and I, all of a sudden I started losing frames per second with that new 4090 card. But um, actually, it was a setting in in the graphics on um, in Windows that I that I changed, and it and everything went way back up. I turned everything up to to 90 90 uh frames per second and it's running like a charm now so but i mean that still is a bottleneck on uh you know for for uh vr is either cpu bound or or uh graphics card bound i i don't know on monitors depending on what resolution you're running that that would probably make a difference on if you want to upgrade your system or not what type of monitors are you running mike this asus uh 1080p's cheap ones. Yeah, I think once you go to 1440s or you go to 2K, then you probably need to upgrade your 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 whole system to run those. I think to Donnie's point and question, Donnie, I think it's perspective on if you're in this long term. You know, like I've been in iRacing 11 years now. I think I'm on my third iRacing computer. You know, you're thinking. When I build a computer, you know, I need it to last as long as I can before I need to build another one. And so that's why you spend the, the money to get the best money can buy because you want it to, you know, last you four or five years before you have to do it again. Yeah, it's been a while since I've built my computer and my frames per second are dipping sometimes below 30 on some of these races. Um, 
And so I'm kind of, you know, that's kind of on the radar too, that maybe I need to start thinking about doing a build. Yeah. I benchmarked um, this build, you know, maybe once a quarter, every six months and it still gets good um, results. It's only two and a half years old, this setup, but uh, yeah, I was just curious on, um, I get the VR standpoint. I'll hopefully never have to do that. I get sick. So, but yeah, so far when you guys had your fourth monitor for you triple monitor guys, and you have the fourth monitor uh, panel for scoring, does that do anything to your, to any of your settings, any of your graphics or your speed? Cause it's well, not, I mean, I, I don't run without it. So I don't know the answer to that. I always have used it. I don't All right, think well, so. We're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, this next topic is, I think was just about predicted recently, right? When, when we were talking about, this issue of these cards actually possibly catching fire. Um, and that's what's happening. There's actually reports on two different articles of 4090s GPUs actually catching fire. They're trying to blame it on the cable. And as I glance through the articles, I can't see anything mentioning the issue about the power supply communication issue that the other guy brought up. It seems like they're trying to point towards that the cable was just bent too much. And so I'm, I'm curious if they know about the power supply issue or not. And if, if and if this is what we're ha what was happening is the power supply is just actually overloading the, the cable. What's, what's interesting is, you know, I've got that card and the, that 16 pin connector comes out of the side or actually it would be, well, it'd be the side of the card and uh, it's hard to get the door closed. I mean, I had to route it. So it, so I, I've kind of got a big loop to it because I could see that being a problem. I don't know why they didn't, you know, put it on the end or whatever, because that is a stiff cable. But I believe these two articles are on the uh, it's on the same case. Um, his caught the guy that caught on fire, I believe it's just the one reported incident so far. Yeah, it's two articles. I believe. Yeah, you're right, Steve. It's just the one one incident. How's, how, how's yours doing? Your house still good? Nothing's on fire? Yeah, no, I got my my extinguisher close by now. I used to keep it in the kitchen. Now I got it in the uh, <laughs> in my shop, in the next to the rig here. Just not a case. bad idea. Do you honestly now knowing that this could be an issue? Do you think more about it? Do you look at it more as you're as you're in the room? Oh yeah, I mean, I only turn it. I only leave that computer on while I'm in here. Otherwise, it's off. I mean, it is on. It is on my mind. I mean, I've had. I've had a. I had an old Android phone that caught on fire. Like, a, it was like a. It was a Pixel. It was. It was before the Pixel series. It caught on fire. They're having issues. So, and it almost. I mean, I thought I was going to burn the house down. It's lit on fire on my desk. Now the article does refer to the same same case, but there's an update on the second article that there are two reports of two separate cards that have melted as, as of ten twenty four. I've seen lipo batteries so, explode in person, but I'm curious how many computers have actually burnt down houses. I had one of my uh, one of my clients. Um, I do IT work for him, and they actually had a uh, router. It stopped working. I went to go look at it, and it actually melted. And it was a net. It was a Netgear router, which I'd never seen that happen before. And thank God it, it blew the circuit before it burned down their their building. That's definitely a bad look for Nvidia. On top of the issues they just recently had with EVGA. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, especially you know, was it the power supply that caused it, or was it the uh, the cable itself? Now, do you turn your power supply off when you're out of the room, or just the computer? No, I've got a I've got separate 
um, strips for each one of my components. So I can turn them on and off separately. And I've got like seven power strips. And so I, I turn everything off. Well, probably because of the smoke damage, he might need some air freshening, right? So the next topic we have is actually an air freshener upgrade. How about that, Brian? You're the guy with the candles. Yeah, that's a interesting take. I don't know if this guy was going for the scented smell because he's just using like one of those pinecone uh, air fresheners. But the cool thing that he did was he used the RG, Arduinos um, and probably SimHub or something like that to make the um, make this the uh, that uh, pine tree can, uh, scented candle thingy move as he's racing so it's hanging like it would from a rearview mirror and if he turns right in the car the uh scented the scented pine tree swings to the right you know if he turns left it swings the other way if he hits the brakes it moves forward so he it's uh he's this, this guy named uh james f 890 is what his uh handle is but um he's he's rigged this thing up using the Arduinos to uh, make uh, this uh, scented thing just swing around. It's it's really ingenious that he was able to do it. I don't think it's anything that's being marketed or anything. It's just maybe this guy's showing what he can do with, uh, with the system. That's pretty funny. Actually, just be aware, if you do that with a helium balloon, you'll actually have to reverse all the axes. Science nerd out on you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. clever, but that's over. It's, it's that's a fascinating over. project. Hey, we want, you know, yeah, the real thing, thing, right? We're simulating driving. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I think it, well, the, the coolest thing about it is it just shows you some of the possibilities, maybe the endless possibilities of things that you can do using that system, the, the Arduino uh, system. It's really cool. All right, well, let's jump into another okay, one. So hot I off wanna, the press. Or go well, ahead. Wait. Uh, David, one more thing on this one is when I first saw this, I was like, it, it had never occurred to me that this could be done until I saw it. And this next uh, story, David, is kind of the same way. It never occurred to me that you could do a product like this one. Yeah, so it's so apparently completely software configurable SimuCube pedal. Uh, and you basically, they just put out one product, and I don't... I. Don't know much more about how it works, except that it's completely configurable, and you can basically change the behavior of the of the springs of the, of the resistance of the pedal. You can actually make it a really short throw or a long throw, change the stiffness of it, all within the software, and not have to do anything to the hardware. It's a fascinating design. I mean, basically, it's a pedal on a on a swivel, a simple swivel at the bottom, and it's got an arm that's attached to a, a motor, uh, a direct drive kind of motor. Uh, it doesn't spin, but it moves back and forth, so to speak, uh, like an articulating arm that's sideways. And so that will articulate the brake, and, and, and it's all configurable, like David said, where the software determines how stiff that pedal is. Um, and so the motor is providing the resistance. So this is the first set of pedals that I know of without rubbers or any kind of, you know, uh, uh, for resistance that do wear down after time without hydraulic or, or load cell, uh, really. And so uh, this is a very unique design. 
Um, they have haptics built in, and and that's the other thing. I mean, Steve, you talked about the haptic system you just bought on your pedals. This is built right into it, the motor itself providing the haptic. Yeah, that's something else. I mean, that's what our, uh, like the, uh, there's haptics on our actuators for our motion rig that vibrate through the sim racing software. But this, this pedal, I mean, it really, really intrigues me. I'm, I'm definitely, I, I hope it's not too much money. I'm going to start safe, put some money away now to, to get one. I, I, uh, I mean, I've got hydraulic pedals, but I mean, it's hydraulic and it's got, you know, it's got rubber bumpers on them. Um, I think this, I think this might be a huge game changer. I'm pretty excited about this, about this pedal. Yeah, it could actually be a different profile. Sorry, David. It could actually be a, a, what's called a, you know, a a technology disruptor, completely shake up the market. This is the first I got to see it was, uh, I was just, just sitting here watching it and it's, um, it's very interesting. I'm just, I'm curious, like what could go wrong, like within the software to prevent you from running and what you'd have to fix. I'm sure they'll have all that figured out by the time they, they release this thing. And are all three pedals going to look and look the same? You, they um, so. are actually selling this pedal. You can use it for, for gas or brake, and they're just going to send set, sell a different uh, pedal plate. I think that's what I understood. So Prius cars are going yeah, on. You buy the, the same pedal for for brake or throttle. I think it's what Steve is saying. Yeah. So you could. I mean, like with mine, I'll probably, I probably just buy the just buy the one the one pedal for a for a brake and try that out. Buy them one at a time, and then if you like it, get the throttle. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Or save up for another year. What are you guys guessing? So the wheel, the pro wheel is fourteen. The ultimate's twenty four. So what are you guys projecting this pedal to be? A thousand, single pedal. Well, I'm going, I'm saying 2K. I don't know. That's what I'm going to save up for. I'll say 1750 for the pedal. It's not three pedals. It's not two pedals. It's one pedal. I'll say 1751. Price is right style. <laughs> okay, so I watched a good portion of this stream on Twitch kind of hard to understand because they're european and your and english isn't their first language it's obvious but basically you have a profile for each car and you and you set the stiffness and the throw and the throw distance and everything that you would normally adjust for a particular car and then you save that profile so every time you get in the rig you load a profile of the re- of the car that you're driving, and and the other thing is that these are shareable and can you know so so you know you'll you'll have people on the internet that put up a, a profile of such and such car like an indie car and you could download it and basically run their pedal settings, and so I imagine you know if you bought this thing that's how you would set it up you would go on the forums and and download a bunch of different profiles for a bunch of different cars that people have put together. And, and that's how you'd get started. I kind of understood it was uh, kind of a kind of self-learning too, as you were driving. Did you, did you get that too, Mike? Yeah. The software does a lot of stuff that they had trouble describing uh, verbally, I think. And, and, and yeah, I think they did allude to something like that, Steve. Earlier in the chat, David, I, I mentioned we can some do something similar like that with our pedals. 
But now I, if I'm here and you can do it, I don't know how many profiles you can have. We can only do five. So now I challenge Lawrence. I want more than five profiles on my, my visor app for these pedals. It'd be nice to have it per car and not have to take uh, the notes and keep configuring them. But that, that's an awesome idea to be able to have a different setting per car and even if you yeah. get crazy per track. We can change the curve. Like we, we can make the pedal move faster at the beginning or, or the end, you know, so you can, uh, on my cup car, I have it accelerate a little bit slower. It makes it a little bit harder for me to spin the car out until I get the pedal all the way down. Um, I like the flat setting for sports cars because they have built-in traction control. What, what the, what, what's different here is you can actually, you know how your clutch and brake are the same mechanism. They just have different stoppers. They have different shims in there to change. One has a spring and the other one has the hard rubber shims, right? Um, this, you can literally change those shims out with the flick of a button. You can actually change how heavy the pedal is. Yeah, that's the part that really interests me. Uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, it, that's pretty exciting, but on the same hand, I, I, I'm so happy with my SimCoach's pedals, and I like having the same feel, so I don't know if I had these, if I would change the setting, because I just like the same brake feeling in every car so that I know where 100% is. Well, the part that interests me is when they were talking about the self-learning. So maybe, you know, at each track you go to, maybe you can have the same feel, but maybe the software will will react to, you know, change in weather or change in the way the, the track is, the, the hotness of the track, so you don't get wheel slip or wheel lock. I don't know. It'd be, be really interesting to see what the outcome is on these. When when I see the design of the pedal, I don't. Okay. I hope I articulate myself when I say this right. But is it moving away from the immersion of the simulator? Because it's it's moving in a direction to where it doesn't look like it belongs in a car. If that makes any sense, I don't know how I'm trying to articulate that. But when I see the pedal, I I don't fall in love with it quite yet. The real question will be: You're talking about like the haps, right? Yeah, just the the pedal in general. I just I, I get the idea behind it and, and how in the technology, I just, I don't know, something about it doesn't, I don't know. I think, I think what they're trying to obtain here is that it's going to feel, you know, more like a real vehicle is, is what they're after compared to, I mean, my, my hydraulic pedal, my HPP feels great, but I mean, it still doesn't feel like, you know, my Dodge truck does is, you know, it's different. The sim cubes do. I mean, not the sim. The sim coaches pedals do. Uh, they literally feel like you're pushing a real gas pedal and a real brake pedal. Donnie, you you got to agree with I me think on that. That's that's where I'm. I'm I 100% agree. And then with Lawrence talking about coming out with ABS incorporated in the pedal, um, I just I I don't know. I don't want it to be a a sim coaches versus sim cube discussion here. But when I look at the sim cube one, I just can't. I just the look of it is just kind of. I don't know. I took my, my pedals apart today because I'm inverting them, and I was just happy with how mechanical they are. And I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. Well, if you're going on look only, you got. I mean, Sim, Sim Coaches wins that hands down. Now, I want to read off a couple of features that they list. You can customize the brake pressure up to 150 kilograms, pedal travel distance, brake air gap, ABS, traction control, and more. There's no rubbers, there's no oil, there's no springs, there's no hydraulic, there's no 
uh, degrading parts to service or replace. It's zero maintenance. And then uh, utilize SIM telemetry data and true force feedback in the pedals. Combine it with the SimiCube wheelbase for a true immersive experience. Now, the software that they designed for these pedals, especially, specifically the haptic part of it, which is really delivered through the motor itself, he indicated that they're going to release new software and firmware for the SimiCube 2 lineup of wheelbases uh, next spring. Uh, that will take advantage of that, and he and he's basically saying that the D, the SimiCube 2 Pro and Sport and Ultimate will have this haptic kind of feel in the bases later next year. That's that's really interesting too. That's that should be a game changer with their with their uh, with the base because I know. I mean, I don't know. Have you had any issues with with the software that you're running on your SimiCube? You just got? Oh, uh, negative, not yet. I haven't hooked it up yet. I'm actually intimidated because I've been watching some videos, but I'm um, hopefully doing that this weekend, getting it going. But um, I don't know. That's that's very interesting. I did I did hear about that part, and um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I should hopefully plug it in this weekend and see how it goes. Yeah, because I know Patrick from Metro Ford. He's you know he's got this SimiCube soft or semi-cube base and the software and he just he cries every time he has to update it because he's got to redo all his settings so this may be huge with their with their new software well and and they also alluded to the software even the portion where you make profiles per car could will be incorporated into the wheel as well um and he also stated in no uncertain terms that the semi-cube two wheelbase is not going anywhere they're not updating it even though it's from years ago it's they still feel that it's a complete product that's designed to live a lifetime and it's still the best wheelbase out there is basically what he said and and uh <clears throat> he put together you know he put to bed any rumors of them uh potentially upgrading uh their wheel or updating the wheel they they did say that they would update the firmware and software as they go along. Right. 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 Firmware and software are definitely going to be updated with what they've learned on the pedal project. Um, and, but the hardware is not being updated. Yeah, I think most of these direct drive wheels, you know, the majority of them, I mean, the motors on them are commercial motors. There's no reason for them to fail. I think the software's the software with all the companies is a huge huge difference. Game changer, I think. Uh, this will change the industry a little bit. Um, you know, haptics is going to be into everything. You know, we were talking in the group chat. It, it, are you know shifters and handbrakes and and sequential and H pattern are those? You know, are we going to get haptics in those now, where you can feel a transmission clicks and all that? When you miss a gear and you're trying to jam it in, that'd be awesome. Well, I'm sure there will be more to come on it later. We'll be following up on that quite a bit. We got one more hardware to hit off really quick. It's a button box. EP Lab is taking pre-orders now on a GTL Pro button box. I like the layout, um, and it also has a, features illuminated buttons, which is, uh, I guess, cool if you're not running VR. It's pricey, though. It's uh, 650 euros. Yeah, I got excited when I saw it. Um, then I saw the price, and I was like, "Never mind." I didn't look uh, any further at it, but uh, 
the the rotary knobs he he uses are, are good good quality i think they're actually aluminum caps as well but they have a good nice click to them but i mean 700 bucks it's i don't know i don't know if it's worth it uh it's a nice unit that's there's no question but at that price i mean you expect nice and uh but hey if you're looking for that signature piece it's a great it's a great box i mean when i built my rig i really felt like the button box is a signature piece and but i didn't spend 649 i spent 350 on my button box but but i felt like that was a lot for a button box yeah this looks like a really high quality button box but yeah it's pretty pricey for i bet I mean, the knobs and everything look on. It looks like the equipment's high quality, so. All right, it's time for some NIS results. We were at Homestead last week, and Steve, according to the sheet, you're the only one who ran Friday. Yeah, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, so on uh, Friday night, I started uh, 31st. Um, the track was pretty slick. There was only two cautions. Um, the first run was 30, 45 laps, and then there was a caution on lap 63, and then another, and then one on 118. Um, I finished ninth, and I gained a 57 I rating. Cool, cool. And then it looks like you also ran Saturday fixed. Yeah, I had uh, I had uh, Patrick from Metro Ford. He was at work, and uh, so he spotted for me um, Saturday morning. Or yes, actually Saturday morning I ran two. Saturday I ran two races. Um, but anyways, um, so he spotted for me, and I started thirty first. There's only three cautions, and I finished third, and I gained another eighty six I rating. So that was the first time I ever had a spotter for a whole race. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I ran Friday night. It was P16. I don't. I didn't put down my results, so uh, I don't really remember what happened. How about uh, Sunday? Well, how about you on Sunday open, David? P2. Yeah, man. If we'd had a little bit longer race or a little bit longer green flag run at the at the end, we had we had one green flag stop. It I might have gotten the leader. I was I got within about two and a half seconds of him, and just passed everybody else. Just just huge long run speed. Uh, and could and also didn't have to use my tires up to pass people because if they tried to block the low side I could get around them on the outside so it was it was a good run and it was nice to kind of break that downhill slide that was that I was on yeah you had a great run um, okay Sunday I, fix I ran oh, the go open ahead, Sunday too. open yeah I ran the open um, I uh, ended up six I started 10th um, anyways it was a good race and I ended up uh, gain another 74 points so i'm like 1951 actually 1950 now well done good top 10 yeah i ran sunday fix uh p16 got totally destroyed about lap 50 by a dive bomber who caused three to four cautions in a row i had five and a half minutes damage interestingly the car was still fast and i was able to march back up through the field i got wrecked again for another minute of damage was at six and a half minutes. Still got up through the field and actually led some laps. It was the craziest thing ever. Stayed out on one of those late cautions and uh, to save a set of tires for that, that final caution, but it actually never came and I faded back to P16. 
I, I, I ran I ran the same time when you did. That was kind of fun. Um, I started 20th. I got to sixth place, and there was a, a bad crash. I got caught up in it. I could see it happening. I just started getting greedy instead of playing it safe and got a meatball. And so I had eight minutes of repairs. I came out 27th. And uh, Mike said, just keep racing. So I kept racing and, and anyways, I got up to 19th and I only, only lost one high racing point. So that's why I stayed at the 1950. Nice. All right, Wednesday open Martinsville, David P7. Yeah, the uh, kind of good runs are finally coming back. The I ran one A open and kind of learned basically what you have to do because these things are have been an absolute caution fest. Really, not any fun. We had 27 cautions, and I already know from chat that was not the record. Uh, but the the strategy was basically don't race, just just try to let let everybody go. Just pick up positions when you when it's pretty clear you can really get by them, and especially for the first 150 laps, I would just go ahead and let myself fade back and fade back and fade back, and then. Ultimately, most of the spots I gained were because people kept getting disqualified. I even had 18x, had to serve a drive-through, but got the lucky dog two laps later um, because it literally every three laps there was a caution. Longest run was 10, and it's just people just will not change the way they race this car. They they race, they have poor racecraft. They they say, oh, it's racing, but no, it's not racing if you're if you're wrecking every two laps and it's not the same person every time but nobody will just change change the mentality and and sometimes just ride and and save the car and save your stuff and save your exes and they, they won't do it they won't tony rochette wrecked out yeah and I've, i forgot to mention i probably won't run another one because it wasn't fun i'd rather just play at daytona in, in the sprint series hey you got a top 10 you know get and walk away uh steven low allen uh was wrecked out as well um I was a dude did not finish and it was bad I mean bad bad it was I was the first caution so two cars spun in front of me completely blocking up the track on the right side I turned hard left to go around them but I overdid it and then slammed the left front hard in the inside wall I broke the toe link so that would be a, a, a long night so I ended up parking it I was thinking I'm, I'm dead last. Everybody else is still running. I have eight minutes damage. I'll never get those laps back. I'm not going to sit here for three hours. And so I went and got dinner. All right. Thursday open, P26. I survived the first four cautions. And on the fifth one, I got spun by a blinker and actually had zero damage. Um, then I survived until the seventh caution where I T-boned a guy real hard. Uh, because the track was blocked. I had five seconds required, but 440 optional. I stayed on the lead lap and then caution 10, I got involved in another huge wreck and broke the tow link. Right around, uh, rode around until caution 16, uh, where I got spun, I didn't touch anything, was sitting at 14X. Then I rode around to caution 25 and I got collected again and had to do a drive-through penalty. From that point, just rode it home, P26. Um, we had 31 cautions, 31. I think that's a record. This was top split. Matt Busa, the Coke driver, won the race. There were many, many 
uh, high-end drivers in this race. There were three different pros, black licenses. There were several, there were at least a dozen people uh, above four and 6,000 I rating. But just like David said, it doesn't matter. We were wrecking every two laps. It was just insanity. I know they like to follow the schedule. Um, okay, moving. Do, is that a problem? Do you keep that, that race? Is it always like this at Martinsville? It has been for a while, and you can't take it yeah. off the schedule. It's in IS, it follows NASCAR. Guess you just skip it, I guess, if you don't want to race it. All right, uh, moving on to other official. I ran Skippies at Redscoggin. Started P6 out of 13 by lap one. I was up to P3. I eventually took the lead by lap three and led the race until lap eight and halfway. When I spun through the fast corner all by myself, I fell back to third and kept it until the end of the race. And on the final lap, I got to second P2. I was super happy with that. Uh, later, I started a 14th out of 19. Uh, lap one, turn one, a huge accordion checkup, and I get the the front knocked off, uh, brought it home P12. Steve, you ran A open. Yeah, I ran that uh, in in the mor in the morning. Um, Saturday morning. Yeah, Saturday morning when Patrick was still spotting for me spotted for two races um and uh let's see i qualified first and got caught a lap down pitting on green got the wave around and ended up fi finishing fifth so it was, a, it was another uh really good race um yeah i liked homestead i i think i've gained like 600 points since i started with you guys so i really appreciate all the help and everybody's giving me pointers to to race out there in the wild now in, in a couple of months when you sail over 3500 i rating does that does that uh mean you have to forfeit all of your championships in obrl pass <laughs> i hope not i hope i don't have to send them back especially the uh, helmet <laughs> they'll just kick you out of the all right room. yeah i'll be kicked out all right, ran some other hosted events this week. Chris McGuire, Supercars at Michigan, started P20, ended up P5. Then we ran the 87 cars and the Porsche Rough at Talladega. Wow, that is fun. Um, I missed the start, uh, ended up getting a caution uh, later and ended up getting wrecked out anyway. Then we ran Gen 5 unrestricted at Talladega, and I won the race. I came from the back and actually won it, and uh, super happy with that. That has got to be the best combo car and track. Um, 250 going into the corners. You can get that the speed up so high. It's just insanity out there. But I'm good at it, and I was able to march up through the field and miss the big wreck. And I put the replay in the chat. Uh, I mean, it was uh, it was quite a save. I mean, they were all wrecking around me, and I just kind of plow through there. All right, and with that, we'll go to final uh, thoughts. Brian McCubbin. Um, so yeah, so last night I um I got done what I was working on, and I was uh gonna hop in the rig. Um, it was a little bit too late to catch Martin Jill, unfortunately. So um, I decided to fire up an AI race. I haven't done very much AI racing, uh, and I had a lot had a lot of fun with it. Um. Uh, you know, uh, needed to need 
you need to kind of dial in to, to the um, to the right strength of field to make it competitive, you know, um, to get that set right because um, it's hard to tell where you're at without without getting in there and kind of adjusting on that. But I, I think you know after doing that and have have a, a, actually ran two short twenty lap races just to just to mess around with it, had a, had a lot of fun with it. So I think um, I think in the off season I'm going to try uh, set myself up like a um, you know, like a season for in AI and just try that out, you know, run, run a race when I feel like it. it's nice. You don't have to wait for a certain time. Whenever you're, whenever you got time, you can hop in and do a race and, you know, they keep points and everything through a season. So I'm going to try it out. It's I had a good, I had a decent amount of fun on it. All right. Very good. I've been running AI on Tuesday nights uh, just to see what I got for Wednesday, just to run some laps and, Instead of going into a practice room, I'm just doing AI, and it's been working. I like it. It's great for testing your stuff too when you're trying to figure out if something's going wrong. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed one of the things when I was racing the AI is um, the cars in there are good at saving tires because um, I would I would get a lead and then uh, they would start running me down. So uh, it's something that you need to learn and work on in those AI races. All right, David Hall. Final thoughts. Uh, not a whole lot. It's nice to be back on the climb again. It's crazy how wild the, uh, the ironing swings can be. Um, and you, you don't, you try not to pay attention to every little small chunk unless I guess you're trying to climb. But when you go from 4,000 to 3,200, you, you kind of notice and, and it, because it's, it happens over, uh, uh, just a long streak of bad races, but I'm already back up to 3,600 and I hope that continues, uh, next week when we go to Phoenix. All right, Donnie Spiker, final thought. Uh, not much. I had a humbling experience last night as I was putting together the, the ASR6 rig, uh, thinking I was going to weld a better chassis. That's not a chance. That thing is rock solid. I put it together last night, about two, two, three hours. Um, I look at it. I got the half of my pedals on it right now. It pops out, and I got the semi cube mounted to it. So um, hopefully I can get that thing slid under my monitor stand this weekend and fired up and work out all the kinks and and whatnot but super happy with the the asr6 um looks great got the black version and uh yeah fingers crossed for this weekend i mean you're not messing around i mean you got one of the best cockpits money can buy you got the best wheel money can buy you got the best pedals money can buy (laughs) so i've been working a ton at work and i have a wife that doesn't care i guess as long as she, I think she said it, it, as long as you tell me about it, I don't care what you do. Um, and as long as it doesn't affect our day-to-day life, which has been working out. Um, so I've been just, it's all extra work from work and I've been killing myself at work. So hopefully that can slow down soon. But um, I have a couple other missions around the house I need to, I need to plan for as well. All right. Very, very good. Greg Hector's final thoughts. Uh don't know about this week uh, about racing at Martinsville. David uh, in the chat has kind of nullified my want of running Martinsville, but uh, we'll see if I run it tomorrow night. Um, I was pretty uh, a pretty pretty good time the other night for us on the uh, on the stream with the uh, watching the championship race. It was a good race. It's just unfortunate that those cars were so tight together that they weren't. Uh, uh, it wasn't as good a racing as I thought it should be, but uh, hopefully in the next year or so we can get this car better where it races better on all types of tracks. But uh, I look forward to that. 
All right, very good. Steve Thompson, final thought? Yeah, I want to do a shout out to Sim Experience and AccuForce and Josh Villers at AccuForce. They had an update to their uh, Sim Commander software from 4 to 4.5. They completely rewrote the, uh, the software and uh, I started having a weird error come up. I could still get into the Sim with no problems. And so I contacted Sim Experience and we've been going back and forth. And anyways, Josh is, uh, he's gonna get on my computer tomorrow and figure out what's going on. I had a problem with my G5 seat and uh, they did the same thing. It's been a couple of years since I purchased anything, but just a big shout out to those guys. That's why I tried to buy American products and uh, looking for great customer satisfaction and support. And uh, so, I want to thank those guys for for uh, keeping it up, even after it's been a few years since I've bought anything from them. All right. That's nice to hear. Uh, my final thoughts. Uh, well, a shout out to Evan Pasoko. Yeah, another season come and gone that he's come on our podcast and, and gave us some great insight into those Coke races. Uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, working with him. And I hope we can continue to do that in the future. Um, in, in future seasons. Um, that event with the Coke race, I thought was great for sim racing overall. I mean, it's, it's actually long overdue to have, you know, the championship for, you know, be in person and have an audience and, and a broadcast and all this different stuff. And I think it went really well. I don't think it could have went better. Um, so kudos to NASCAR and iRacing and and everyone involved for pulling that off, uh, it, it went really well. As far as my racing goes, man, I'm, I, this week I just feel proud. I mean, that P2 and the Skippy, man, I feel proud of that. But then to turn around and win that Gen 5 Talladega from the back, I'm, and I'm not, I'm just saying the back, like car, you know, 39th to first, you know. Uh, and that's saying something against these guys who run these hosted events all the time. Um, so I'm super proud of that win. I mean, I'm just as proud as that hosted win as I am my, one of my NIS wins. And so it really meant a lot to me and, uh, and had some fun with it. So with that, hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.